Remember when we did edits to podcasts? Those were the days. Speak for yourself. I mean, you, you spice and dice, but like only the beginning. And I just the cut end. the beginning and the end. Basically, we got to say something real dumb to do. Uh, to do, an to edit. do a real edit. Um, all right, that seems like a good thing to start on. Let's go. Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast from Studio Breezy. We got Sir Mix-a-Lot. Hey, buddy. Baba Juan, the goat, Matthew, Breezy, and we are here to do a little less emotional, little more analytical review, partially by the numbers and mostly just by bad soccer takes of the season that was. Matthew, ready to do it? Yeah, let's get into this thing. We made a show doc, and it's pretty long and pretty detailed. Um, I would like to start with the very top and a uh, thing that we talked about in leading up to this podcast um, is that we li- we re-listened to our um, analytical review from last year, and in our analytical review from last year, I think I said something to the effect of, holy shit, we give up zero penalties this year, we're fucked next year, and... Um, well, we weren't fucked, but oh, true, true, truer words. <laughs> um, but like, so we didn't give a single one up, and we were—I said we we're going to revert to the mean. And then in this year, we gave up four, which was one third of our total league goals allowed. Yeah, we also lost two penalty shootouts. I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> we didn't have any penalty shootouts like, last year. So. Yeah, exactly. But like, we got yeah, mean reversion was just super mean to us. Hey. All right, Matthew, let's take us through the season. Let's start at the beginning as we have um, done in the past few years. We're going to do a, uh, chapters of the season. Let's go. Tell me the narrative. So uh, chapter one is entitled Taylor fucking Gray. Uh, and it, it starts with the, the 3-0 win at home against Gold Star Detroit. To open up the season. Uh, we go to Des Moines Menace and win 4-1 in the Open Cup. Uh, we go out to, to California on a, for a weekend beat the shit out of Albion San Diego 5-0. There's a 1-0 win uh, against Flower City at home. And and then there's a, a 1-1 draw at Birmingham in the Open Cup that we succumb on penalties for. And this is a really good place to, to have a chapter uh, end because... Uh, and, and there was a game literally at Michigan Stars on the weekend right after the Birmingham Open Cup game. Uh, but it's in this Birmingham game that Taylor gets hurt, and and he does not play any any minutes at all until the season finale of the re- regular season against Club de Leon. And uh, I just want to like point out this is um, this is Taylor's stat sheet from uh, he he did not have a, a goal or an assist in the Club de Leon or. Flower City game, so it's a really clean look at at his at his first few games of the season. Taylor had one goal, four assists, and two hockey assists in five games. In five games, it's pretty good. And by the way, you like, should have had a whole other assist if Alex seven, McGrath doesn't miss a wide open goal. seven goal contributions. And yeah, Alex McGrath had a wide open goal save that he still scored. Unbelievable through ball that we couldn't get the assist on. Like practically eight. I mean, like in all honesty, like you care about you care about the XA on Taylor's pass there, and not that he doesn't actually get credited with an assist, right? Like it's essentially speak eight. for yourself. I care about him not getting that assist. I told Alex McGrath <laughs> as much right after the game. 
I guess essentially eight goal contributions in in those five games, including including two Open Cup games. And it was and by the way, uh, two, uh, you said two hockey assists. Uh, I think it's one, four, and two. Yeah, the two hockey assists are both penalties drawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To win the like the, the 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 one that like wins the Flower City game at home, and that ties and that the ties Birmingham the game. Birmingham game in the Open Cup. Uh, and like we had, I had specifically kind of challenged Taylor. Cheers, buddy. Not to his face. On this podcast, uh, saying in our in our review pod that if uh, one of the things I thought we weren't as good at last year was like truly getting our wingers one on one in the box, going at going at defenders, winning those battles to create opportunities to score or assist or, mm. or create danger from, mm. and. I, and I specifically said, you know, I'd like to see Taylor get more assists uh, in, in in the next year. Well, boy, did he listen to you. Boy. <laughs> First of all, he had four primary assists and two hockey assists. Last year, he only had two primary assists. Correct. In an entire season. Correct. He had, he had matched his league total in primary assists. In the first game. In the first game. Uh, and by and the like, way, came all, out like a man possessed. By the way, also in my brain, um, in my, you know how memory is not always correct. In my in my mind, we played Albion to open the season <laughs> we didn't we clearly we, we, didn't. we did not but like so in that in that stretch uh, we we scored 14 goals in five games that's 2.8 goals per game yeah uh, obviously excuse me obviously heavily influenced by i mean three nil against gold star four one at des moines and, and five nil at albion who were hopeless that day but we also also brought down the average playing Birmingham, who were useful championship, and, and, and Flower City, who never left their own box, and who played us remarkably well defensively, and who never left their own box because they had six defenders playing at one time. Yeah, uh, so that ends up being two point eight goals uh, uh, per game in the in those five games, uh, two goals conceded uh, in those five games uh, for a point four goals against average. Started out gangbusters. Yeah, and then after that injury, uh, chapter two is entitled "Learning to Grind." Could also be uh, called "The Offense Grinds to a Halt." I mean, yeah, it, it definitely was because, in comparison, you have you have in the next six games, which are at Michigan Stars, Savannah Clover's home, at Flower City Union, Albion home, Maryland home, and away to Maryland. In those in those six games. We only scored eight goals total. And it's a 0 0 1 1 1 0 2 0 1 0 2 1. So, like, giving up two goals only in six games is a 0.33 goals against average, which is fantastic. But, like, our offense went down to 1.33 goals per game in that stretch. Do you know who scored the first league goal against us? Savannah Clover's on a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Also, who scored the last league goal against us? And that was week one, two, week four five of the season yeah was the first time we conceded a goal in league play yeah i mean yeah uh yeah it's just uh th- this was a stretch where we did not particularly create a ton of stuff all the time offensively offensively mm-hmm. and yet uh i mean like look look through here you have the marcus banger at flower city union you have uh, a Marcus banger free kick against Maryland Bobcats. Um, you have some actually some really good creation in the uh, in the way Maryland Bobcats game. Yes, that was the signs, and we'll get into chapter three. Like really, the sign of something 
starting to be like really made uh because in this in this in this time period like we weren't we weren't awesome creatively uh and, and like teams when you lose your best creative player get worse at creativity like this is a normal thing and i think it's a testament and that we kind of figured out in this stretch that whole Jeez, Mix. Holy shit, our defense is really, really good. Yeah. And that's what's going to give our offense time to figure things out. We allowed two goals in six games. Before that, we conceded two goals in five games. None of those were in the league. So up until this point, we would we were six th- we were uh, nine games in a week and conceded two league goals. Right. Wild, wild shit. Uh so we move into into chapter three, and this is this is kind of like it was not our peak. But it was like we were definitely peaking and, and and really putting it all together. It was when the offense started peaking again. Yes. Uh, for the second time without Taylor and the, for the only time without Taylor. So you start with a Club de Leon game at home, uh, which was like two weeks after or three weeks after something like that, after the, the last regular season Nisa game. There were a couple of friendlies in there mixed in. The 1-1, one, one, uh, Marcus's free kick to, to rescue the game in extra time is an, an incredible moment. Uh, you've got an LA Force win, 3-0, just beat the fuck tar out of them. You've got what a game that I might... I don't know if it's the best game we played all season, uh, but like the Michigan Stars win 2-0 at home. We awesome. were... It was everything... Michigan Stars tried to be who they were last year to us uh, and who they mostly are, just period, all the time. And we were just simply better than them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also early on in Jesus Barra's tenure. I think it was his first start, actually. Um, and like finally adding a creative piece like Jesus was really important to this team to replace Taylor. And like it all kind of came together um, in that game. You also have a 1-1 draw at Maryland uh, where they had an absolute unreal banger. We had an unreal banger from Marcus on, from a free kick. Uh by the way, that uh, that Maryland Bobcats one-one draw and that Marcus free kick, eight straight Nisa League games with Marcus having a goal leading up to that game. That was the eighth. One. That was the eighth. Uh, Unbelievable. You've got a, a Gold Star, or a win uh, at Gold Star two-one. Once Taylor got hurt, Marcus was the offense. Correct. And like we did not create a ton most of those games, and a lot of times it was just Marcus like doing Marcus take, shit. taking the one chance or taking the one free kick and getting it done. Um, You've got the 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 two one win at Gold Star in there, and then the five nil pantsing of Savannah Clovers to close out chapter three. Fourteen goals scored in six games, two point three three goals per game. Still only conceded three goals, excuse me, in those six games, uh, which is a point five goals per game average. And then you've got chapter four. And the thing that's changed so far, we have. 2.8, 1.3, 2.3, and the goals um, scored. They bounced up and down. We have allowed 0. 0.4, 0. 0.33, and 0. 0.5. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, like, we are just not allowing goals to be scored. Right. And, and and when we were, which we'll get to later, the types of goals we conceded, like, it's penalties. It's not a lot of run from the open play. Some, some mistakes it's in there. Individual like, mistakes. Like, yeah. Uh, so chapter four, uh, I'm calling it the lull of four matches in eight weeks mm. because we had a weekend off after Savannah, then played Flower City, and then had another weekend off 
uh, played Apotheos somewhere midweek uh, in there. Uh, and this is also where you get the Colin Stripling injury against Apotheos that holds him out until the end of the season. Uh, but in this stretch, you've got Flower City Union. That was a nil-nil draw at home. L.A. Force win, 3-1 at home. Then we immediately turn around and go to L.A. Three days later. Three days later. We lose that game 2-1 on a late penalty. And we go to Albion, uh, and we we draw that game nil-nil by the grace of Rod himself. Yes, because that game should have been 2, no- <laughs> two nothing Albion. Yeah. Um, we were not great. So like this is like undeniably our worst stretch of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Four games. We well, scored four goals. That's a 1.0 goals per game. Not and great. we conceded three goals, 0.75. Which is the reason we came out of that with one loss, two draws, and a win. Yeah. Because our defense was fucking unbelievable. Uh, and then we go to chapter five. And, and you titled this chapter, Getting Our Groove Back. And uh, the, the Gold Star game that starts at a 1-1 draw is three weeks after the Albion game. There's, there's two full weekends we were supposed to play and a Savannah game got postponed for COVID. Club de Leon game got postponed for... They didn't blame it on a hurricane, did they? They blamed it on a field issue. Crimes. It got... It, it got um, Just crimes, crimes against humanity. Uh, so, like, we had two playing weekends off. Yep. So we come back three weeks later. And because of the COVID thing, uh, we know we know now that they didn't... They weren't able to fully practice for a large portion yeah. of that time because they had to have like certain people quarantine and certain other people quarantine and, and they had to yeah. do a bunch of shit, which made it so it wasn't like they spent two weeks like honing their craft. They went two weeks like trying to get their shit back together. Right. So you've got the one one draw against Gold Star. Not great. Um, yeah, not ideal. And um, a one nil win at Savannah, which was so, so good to be to be there for to watch it happen. Uh, a 2-0 win at Flower City, which clinched the Nisa regular season title. Hell yeah. Uh, a really interesting, weird 2-3 to three loss at Savannah. Uh, and it, which also featured like some load management. Load management uh, and I think uh, a pretty clear letdown uh, mentally and physically yeah, after winning the agreed. title. And that's not me saying it's okay, but I do think that's what happened. Yeah. And then a 1-0 win uh, against Club de Leon midweek right afterwards and a dominant one oh one. yeah it could have been three four whatever we were we were much like in as we refound our groove through this the savannah that getting that goal feeling a lot better going to flower city getting the two like playing better savannah not playing bad like having some freak stuff and not playing great to be clear yeah but like the offense playing a little bit better and then Club de Leon playing like genuinely well. Like that was us getting our groove back offensively. Because Sec- we never lost yeah. our groove defensively. Second half Savannah reminded me a little bit of second half uh independent cup final against AC's Houston, sir. Like the game like the game was really Excuse me, sir, it's pronounced AC Houston. Sir Uh like it's just it's one of those letdowns that I mean, like, those are the only two times where it ever happened. And why was like, that, Matthew? Well, this so like, we can talk about this this interesting stat. Um, spoiler alert: We did, did not give up a goal against Flower City Union in the playoffs to to round it out. So that's sixteen goals conceded in twenty eight matches that mattered. Sixteen in the second half of Savannah, we gave up two goals, and in the second half of AC Houston, sir, we gave up two goals, no which way. is a forty twenty five percent. It's a clear quarter of our goals conceded. In those two halves. That's the only... And one specific thing happened in both of those halves. 
Aiden Bowers was subbed off at halftime for load management. And both times he was subbed out, the only two times he was subbed out this season for load management, we conceded two goals. Right. Wild. Uh, I guess the second half against LA Force, we gave up two goals in, in, in that one in the in the second half. But like, no, no, my, no, no, my no. point is... Not the only times we gave up two goals, he subbed out. The only times he subbed out, we gave up two goals. No, we gave up two goals against LA Force on the road no, in the, the second half. No, no, no. I'm saying every time he subbed out... Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Every time... I see what you're we saying. Sub- well, those are the only... Those are the only 90 minutes of the entire season he missed. That's my point. Uh, he played in... <laughs> no Aiden Bowers? He played in 2,490 uh, 2, minutes. And on when he was on the pitch, we gave up 12 goals total, goals total which is... I did the math at one point in time. The goals per minute? Uh, two, minutes four, per goal? 2,490,000 divided by 12. We gave up a goal every 207 minutes and 30 seconds when Aiden was on the field that is insane basically every two and a third games and when he was off the field we give up four goals a game (laughs) four goals per 90 Jesus (laughs) a goal every 15 minutes no goal every a goal every no it's like it's like that weird like 22 and a half or whatever you're right 22 and a half goal every 22 and a half minutes Um, you're right so that's, that's, so that's to, wild. To wrap up chapter five, we're at seven goals scored in six games. We're four only four goals conceded in six games, which is point six seven. Defense staying good. So I'm gonna so read the defense stayed good. I'm gonna read you the, the defenses through. Point four, point three, point five, point seven five, point six seven. Like the, the defense stayed consistently really good throughout the season. Yeah. The offense, however, and I and I have a, I know you want to make a point at the end of this on what could have happened if you look at what Flower City sure. happened in that game, but two point eight. 1. 3, 3, 2.33, 1. 1.17, 1.0. 1. 1. Like those are 1.0, 1.17. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. Just because to make to make chapter three five games and to make chapter four uh, also five games, you're looking at uh, nine goals being scored in five games, just a, a shade under under two goals, right, uh, per game, and you're you're looking at nine goals scored in five games for chapter four, mm-hmm. which was our one point our, our worst, yep. our worst stretch, and I think it just goes to show like. I picked out the chapters because of, of, of breaks in the season, but like opponents also varied and, and quality also varied. And, and like, how we played varied. There's some other things that, that, that go into this. It's it's why when you and I were setting up this doc uh, and a few minutes ago, we were talking about, should we divide up the season by quarters, quarter, yeah. quarter, quarter, quarter? I don't think it told an accurate story. Yeah, correct. I think the way you divided it this way does tell an accurate story, um, an accurate narrative rather. Yeah. And, or at least an ex- uh, a narrative that explains the one thing I will also say is in that Flower City game, we know the XG was 3.9 roughly to like 0. 0.4 or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was. So the updated uh, official number was 3.90 to 0. 0.38. And, and, so, and like, so like, if you look at 1.17, and you're like, well, you know, goals, goals got a little bit worse from the, the second half of the season. I think consider this. In our first five games of the season, uh, we were 
That should say 22 games, shouldn't it? No, yeah, 22 games. Uh, our first five games of the season, we were at 2.8 goals per game. The final 22 game, uh, uh, the final 22 games, and I'm leaving out the Independent Cup when I did this math. We scored a rate of 1.52 goals per game. Mm-hmm. Smack on 1.5. Why are those first five games important, Matthew? Taylor Gray, and and just his ability to create stuff for uh, for himself or others, I think had a massive, massive mm-hmm. role in, in why the offense was, um, why the offense like had a, had a precipitous drop. Also, that's a small sample size. Five games is a small sample Correct. size. So like we don't know, we can't like definitively say. Like what happened? We would have there. scored 2.8 goals a game all season. But like, like Ross Ross Singer has a question, a listener question here, where he asks, um, "We stopped scoring. Like the tap was shut off. Why?" And I think, like, I think there might have been a narrative that like we stopped scoring in, like a lot of goals in the second in the later parts of the season, and that's why uh, our form was worse, and maybe why we didn't you know advance in the semifinals, and. It's just kind of not true. I mean, like, yes, the number in chapter five is 1.17. And that is our second lowest number, which follows chapter four, which was our lowest number at 1.0. But I think a more accurate, like, storyline is, number one, I think some of Marcus's brilliance in chapter two, for example, um, and, and to some some degree chapter three, although the team was better in chapter three, but mm-hmm. especially in chapter two, we only scored eight goals in six games. And you've got two free kicks in there. You've got the headed corner from Anatoly in the Savannah Clovers game to, to rescue a draw. You've got Marcus with a header from kind of deep in the box yep. uh, against Albion. Uh, you've got a, a, a pressing pocket pick by Alex McGrath against Albion. You know, we did have some good creation in the in the Maryland Bob gets away game that we won two one, but like there wasn't, it it was only a, a few moments honestly of of chance creation that we were just really clinical with in that game. Mm-hmm. It's it's possible, and I don't know this for certain because I don't have the, the I don't have advanced data right now, but like it's I think it's it's even at eight goals in six games we possibly overperformed our xg in chapter two. And whereas I think we were playing a little bit closer to our XG um, in in other parts of the season. Uh, And point number two is in chapter five, we talked about getting our groove back, putting some chances together. Like, can we be the best version of ourselves by the time the playoff game comes around? And let me remind you that our XG in the playoff game was 3.9 which is an astonishing number. Number one did not score. But like, if you put that in win probability calculators for XG, us versus them, it's spitting back like 99 point like off the map win probability. If you give us two goals, and, and this is why like, it's you, you got to be careful when drawing drawing conclusions based on purely goals scored. Mm-hmm. Uh because so many variants can happen. A, a keeper can be better one game or not be better. You can hit the post and it go in versus hit the post and it doesn't go in. If you give us two goals in the Flower City Union playoff game, and I realize, again, I know we didn't score them, but if you give us two, which is half of our XG. Half of what we created and what we should have scored. 
we go to uh, nine goals in six games for chapter five, which is 1.5. Solidly 1.5. Solidly our season average. Bang on our season average after Taylor Gray. Post Taylor Gray injury. So our offense was basically. I. I was Taylor Gray magic at the beginning and Marcus magic for large portions of the season. And then some kind of team, regular team goals. Towards the end, and Taylor came back, and you saw it in the second half of the yeah he Flower was City he game. was electric in that Flower City game. Um, and I mean he should he should have had you know on another day he scores probably two in the Flower City game he scores one against Club Leon that was ruled ruled out like that was a good goal and like so I guess my 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 kind of take here is I think the office the offense was there I think like weird and like finishing luck. That we we ran hot for a little while, and maybe we just ran cold by the end. But we were creating some really good stuff, especially in that semifinal. And like the process of getting to where we were absolutely in top form in for a semifinal game after winning the regular season and being you know decent form to win the league all season long. You know it's hard to argue that a three point nine to a .38. Their first shot is on not target. ridiculously good and exactly what the process was supposed to lead to. Yep. And at some point, finishing luck comes into it and that's just fucking life. Sometimes the ball doesn't go in, man. And it sucks. And it's not okay, but like, what can you do? Four times we hit the crossbar. Anyway, let's not belabor. Let's not go. We've already reviewed the, the final. All right, let's go to men's goals breakdown. So one thing that was really fun last year that we broke down is we broke down run of play goals versus transition goals. Um, and then we also did corners and PKs. And so for corners, I'm going to put um, – oh, you did free kicks in the corner. You didn't do just set pieces. Okay, cool. We broke it out even more. Um, so run of play, we scored 40, did you do 49? Is that what this adds up to? 49. So we scored 21 run of play goals. Do you have what we did last year? Will you look that up while I'm talking about this so we can compare them? Um, I know we did 50 goals last year. We did. Um, so we had 21 run of play goals, uh, nine of which were in transition or no, no, sorry. Run of play was, uh, 21. And then we had nine additional transition goals. Um, these are subjective um, but Matthew and I agree on them. Uh, we had eight cor- goals scored on corners, um, plus a free kick, by the way, uh, parentheses, that we earned via a corner. We scored five free kicks, five direct, and then one where we scored um, off of a free kick rebound. And we had six penalty kicks. So again, we scored six penalties. We had five free kicks, which is fucking nuts. That is nuts. We're not scoring one for the, at least four seasons after scoring five this season. Um, we scored on eight corners, which is, I think, very good. We had nine in transition, which I'm, I'm quite happy with, and 21 from the run of play, which I'm also happy with. We didn't score in only one way. Um, even though the offense didn't always feel good, and sometimes it was somebody doing magic, we did score from a variety of ways. Um, and I think that that's, that is really, really fun to think about. Um kind of how we were scoring our goals. Did you find last year's review? Yes. Uh, no, that's not even true. Uh, so we did not break out. Uh, we broke them out differently last year. We did not break out the set pieces into corners. And, no, and we, just did, we just did free kicks and we uh, did set pieces. But right. Okay. So this year, regular run of play, 21. Last year? 21. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Transition? This year? Nine. Ten last year. Um, last uh, this year we on um, set pieces we had thirteen. 
11 last year. Penalties this year, we had six. Eight last year. So two less penalties, two more. Um, and we earned one more than we scored last year as well as this year. Yep, because the Ancero missed one and Marcus missed one. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Actually, no, because uh, Marcus missed one in the Independent Cup, not Ian Sarah. We, we gave it to him. I was listening, so I remember this now. Ian Sarah, we gave to him because he got his own rebound. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Hell yeah. So this is... Vi- Remarkably similar, by the way. Remarkably similar. Remarkably similar. Now, you did some really good work here of uh, game by game. Um, and I think it might be fun to talk about a particular, a couple of these games that we think might be fun. So against Des Moines, we had two. It's the first one that I find interesting. We had two run of play, two transition. So we had no set pieces, which is kind of surprising. One of those was a chip from halfway, which I'm assuming that was a transition goal. Yeah, the 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 first and second goals versus Des Moines were were run of play, and the last uh, two were in transition. Yeah, and the last in the last two were in transition, partly just because uh, McGrath's chip to make it three, and then. Taylor's ball uh, for one Louis to make it from from basically midfield to put him in behind to make it four. We're just killing off the game. Uh, there was some really good creation in that game, especially in the first half of that game for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, some really really good stuff, and uh, and again, like Taylor Gray had the assist for Marcus uh, off of a Mumu cross uh, from for the hockey assist, and then Damian and Luis Garcia Sosa. Had a, a little one-two action for the uh, for the second goal there uh, after after Mumu's injury and Damian came in. Uh, by the way, you wanted to know who played the pass uh, for Luis Garcia Sosa that started the uh, Damian Luis Garcia Sosa um, one-two. No, just kidding. Yes, what, who? Taylor Gray coming inside. <sighs> Fuck. So. Uh, a couple more that I think are interesting. Um, the next one is the five nothing at Albion, where we scored two corners, two transition, and one run of play, um, which is interesting. It was right afterwards, and then um, from then on, there's not really a lot of rhyme or reason. It's like a PK one game, a PK another game, then nothing, then one corner, then one run of play, then one run of play, one transition, then one free kick, then two run of I mean, There's no real anything. We get to LA Force, which is three goals in that game. We have a corner and two run of play. Um, which I, I just find interesting. AC Houston Sir is fun because we have a one run of play, one quarter, one PK. Yeah, and these are these are a little bit uh, these are a little bit uh, uh, subjective. Like one of those in the in the home LA Force game in June or early July. I think you can legitimately argue is probably closer to transition. Um, that's just kind of how the nature of this breaks down. And I think I think hopefully we we do a decent job of. Um, we do a decent job of like, you know, maybe it goes one way. We, we count it as run of play one time and maybe we count it as transition the other time. So it kind of evens out uh, and we're not like favoring run of play soccer to make ourselves look better versus like transition soccer. I mm-hmm. think they're, I think sometimes things can be multiple things and this is just how we've chosen to break them down. Yep. I, ju- I do think it's interesting. And then like the only other interesting one to finish out the season is Savannah free kick times two. Yeah. So you've got the Marcus direct free kick in the first half of that game. And then the second half of that game, you've got Alex playing, playing a ball into the box. The Anatoly heads, uh, on, to, I think a Savannah defender, like kind of mini clears it, whatever, not very far. And in the recycle, like it comes to Mumu and he plays it across the box square to Jesus who hits it first time 
back across the goal, kind Score. of curling low. And like we counted that as a free kick because uh, it, it comes it, it comes from a free kick. Anatoly is not forward if it's not that type of scenario. By the way, I would have I would have counted that as just a set piece. Yeah, I don't know why we uh, as naming wise. Now that we're talking about it, instead of breaking it out from. From. Yeah, I'm also I'm now I'm thinking about something. Did we classify the Savannah 1-0? We called that okay, Savannah 1-0 in October. We called that run of play. It's worth noting that and it is run of play because it's the second phase of the run of play, yep. but that comes from a throw-in. Mm-hmm. Uh initially. It's just, right. It's just that and that's where the subject subjectivity comes in where you and I watch a goal and we decide when subjectively does it become uh, stop being a set play and yeah. start being um, run and play. So I agree with that. Let's go to some numbers and statistics for the uh, coming out of the offensive side and look at the defensive side. So in 2022, um, we allowed, we scored 50, allowed 31. And then we, you and I agreed to remove six of those goals um, in the Atlanta game because we were facing an MLS opponent and that's just wild. So call yeah. it 50 and 25. Um and we did not do that in this year, by the way, because Birmingham is not so far above uh, us talent-wise. We just felt we kept it in the um, the uh, wins and losses category because we were supposed it was a game and a competition that mattered in in 2022. But we felt like including six a six goal loss was a little bit unfair. Yeah. So you so just for like full apples to apples comparison, you've got 24 league games in both seasons. You've got uh, an independent cup game and a playoff semifinal game, and then. This season, we've got you know amateur competition in Des Moines, Minnesota, who, by the way, are very good. Uh, for you know, they're very good uh, in, for for Open Cup, and then you've oh, got so yeah, Birmingham. Sorry. So, like, there is a, a kind of a big dichotomy between like common opponents, you know, Memphis, Birmingham in the championship, and then like Des Moines, Minnesota, a very very good amateur team, and then Atlanta United. So, like, there's kind of a big swing there. Uh, that like you could read into if you wanted to, but like I think the numbers just speak for themselves. This is who we who we who we were. This is who we played. I completely agree. So we scored fifty uh, last year. We scored forty nine this year. Feel very good about that. Last year we allowed thirty one, which I think you and I both wanted. Or excuse me, twenty five after you uh, remove Atlanta. I think you and I felt good about that. We wanted the under twenty, maybe a little closer to that fifteen. And you know where we got sixteen goals. Sixteen goals, and that includes again. We talked about this about Aiden, like the two second halves that Aiden did not play for load management reasons. Uh, and, and both of those, like Independent Cup, which we treated as very much a load management and kind of a friendly, if we're being honest. And then the second half of Savannah on the road, right after clinching the regular season title, did a little bit of load management in that game. Like, And that's where 25% of the goals against came from on this season. It's wild. Like... <laughs> That was pretty. That's pretty good. Like, that's not just pretty good. That's really good. And in fact, let me go one step further because we have we gave up twelve goals in Nisa this year in twenty four games. Twelve goals, right? That's a goals against average of of point point five, which is pretty ridiculously good. But what if I told you that that goals against average? is the best defense in Nisa history. And I mean, like, better than Detroit. That is crazy. 
And I, and I think some of you might, might rightly say, Hey, well, hang on the, you know, is that a really fair comparison? Like the league is, is worse in 2023 overall than it is in 2021. And to that, I would say, don't you think that affects us too? Like in terms of maybe in terms of recruiting or, or, or whatever else, like that also affects us and we still have to go out there and, and play this division three league that sometimes feels more like division 3.5 uh, in, in terms of, in, in terms of players, in terms of whatever. And yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's ridiculous the best defense ever in Nisa history. And by the way, the third best offense only second to our, our team last year. Wait, third best offense or second best offense? Third best offense this year. Second best offense last year. Detroit's. Oh yeah, they had do. 2.05 goals per game or whatever in 2021. Got so it. Got to keep them on top of that category. Got it. Well, Matthew, let's do some awards uh, of the year. Who is your offensive player of the year? By the way, you have yours all listed out, and I don't. I wrote mine out while we were talking earlier. I don't think... And we, you and I can adjust a little bit as, so we don't always pick the same player. Sometimes we're going to pick the same player because it's clear. I think we're going to pick the same player on, on both of these first two. Uh, I've been like... If, I had a feeling. When you have an offensive player like award, how do you not give it to the guy who wins the golden boot? 15 goals and one assist. I think it's got to be Marcus. On top of that, the guy who put the offense on his back after Taylor... For long stretches Taylor of the season, down, yeah. Scored eight in eight straight games and is the only reason uh, offensively that we were able to win or draw a bunch of those games. And he did it alone more than last year or more than even the year before. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think that's just... You really don't have to say much about it. It's it's Marcus and it's... it's we're very, very lucky he had the season he had. Um and it's, it's kudos to him for winning that second. And thank God he won it again in marriage. Didn't fucking win it. Um, or didn't he get a tie. Uh, also, the tweet of the season. Defensive player of the year. I think it's Aiden Bowers. I think it's Aiden Bowers, too. And, like, let me also add here that uh, Aiden ended up with a goal and two assists as well. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's – I don't, I don't think it's close. I, th- I think his reliability in defense, both in especially in possession and um, and just like how good, how just damn good he was all season. He had one foot placed wrong the entire year, the entire league season, the entire league season. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the entire league season. That's the pass back to Jean, who maybe it's even Jean's fault. I don't know whose fault it is, but the the give up for to make it a, a tie game with. Gold yeah, the, the gold star when, that's they, when they went ahead. That's that's literally it. Which is insane. Look, Anatoly was excellent. There's no shot at Anatoly. Yeah, he had a couple couple goals and and I think maybe an assist. And his highs were incredibly high, maybe even higher than Aiden's. But Aiden's consistency is why I'm giving it to him for this season. He was unbelievable. You want to know? I got a, I got honorable mention. JP. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 I 100 agree. Like our J- entire JP defense is. is Jay, it was fucking awesome. But like, I mean, think about the performances that that like Jean put in. You know, probably probably saved. <laughs> if you take out, if you take out like in the league, if you take out the uh, the Albion game on the road, I don't know if he saves more than thirty shots on the season. I don't know if he saves more than twenty shots on the season. Like the defense and him, what? Because like he commanded his box in such a way that 
a lot of teams like tried to put in some crosses, like tried to do whatever, and he just went and got everything. Yep. You and I also talked yesterday, and we don't have facts to back this up, but you and I have this feeling <laughs> that if you took Birmingham, where we were under it for large portions of the game, they were very good, and Albion, where we were tired and not very good, if you take those two games out and the saves he made in that game, which was a significant amount in both those games. And that that if you take those two games out, you're down to 24 games because he didn't play in the, uh, in the Savannah away, and he didn't play in the Independent Cup. So... In in just saves made, not goals 22. against, not goals against, saves made. I bet he made more saves in those two games than he made in the rest of the season combined. No, that's twenty four. Yeah, a hundred percent. Which is hundred percent. And we don't we haven't counted them, but that's fun. He didn't make a, mo- a lot of games. He didn't make a single save, or actually, most games he made like one and sometimes made, two saves. He mostly made just one save. And 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 that I mean, look, look. I'm not talking about like going up and catching a ball that's bouncing over the top. I'm talking about an actual save. Yeah. Like he like every game he'd have three or, he'd have three or four like where he went and got it. But it was crazy when he had multiple saves, like four or five saves in a game. I was like, what the fuck? And like and 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 and. and I think the individual award, if you have, if I have to choose, is going to go to Aiden. But like that, also does not discount the contributions that like someone like Sebastian, yeah. uh, or or Colin Stripling, or even Jung Woo So, for large portions of the season, uh, did. And like we gave Richard the Defensive Player of the Year award last year because he was absolutely Superman. Yes. And one of the things we talked about, and I'm I'm kind of jumping to a little bit of a formation question. Uh, that we we got asked in the mailbag. Sure. One of the things that we were really curious in, because uh, I postulated like the amount of openness we were in 2022, and how like over reliant we were on Richard to bail us out uh, when when the midfield got bypassed. I postulated that like, do we go back to the Christmas tree to become more secure and 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 solid in midfield, or was there something else going on? And what Rod did was he took two outside backs, JP on the left, and it's kind of supposed to be John Partita in, in, in the initial roster building, but it was mostly Colin Stripling, uh, a little bit of Jung Woo, a little bit of Sebastian, and just placed them in. So we built in a, in a two, three, four, one, and it allowed like any sort of turnovers in the offensive part of the field. To Richard always had extra help to deal with the initial thing. And we could do that and take someone off of the back line, essentially, because Anatoly and Aiden were so damn good. Yeah. Like, like unreal levels. Like, those are your two best center backs in Nisa. And look, Colin and... Um, Period. Absolutely. Colin and... Tate play the right back position differently. Tate would stay next to, he was sometimes tucking next to Richard, but he would kind of stay in like a three man. Colin sometimes stayed in a three man, um, make and let JP run, kind of run up and down. But sometimes Colin just stepped in right where Richard would normally be, dead center, let Richard go run around and push the ball wide and, and lead the charge and do whatever. And then when they would get attacked, he would just be sitting there where Richard would normally be sitting there. And Colin is, we talked about this last year with Ian Sarah versus Colin. Um, actually, sorry, the beginning of this year we were previewing, I think. Uh, but regardless, uh, when Ian Sarah was in the midfield and Colin Stripling is in the midfield, we were comparing rod approaches. They're different kind of midfielders, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you kick the ball around Ian and try to run through him, Ian's not a big guy. He's like 5'7 or whatever. Colin is a big old boy. 
there's just a there's a different physical presence in this team defensively with Anatoly, Colin, and Aiden, but also defensively in the midfield with Colin and Aiden. I mean, excuse me, with Aiden and Anatoly right behind, but with Colin sitting in sometimes directly in the center of the field. There was just a different physical presence defensively, um, and coming forward, teams were not able to get out in transition, which is something we we talked a lot about. And yes, yeah, some of it was for sure formation driven, and some of it is personal as policy, as you always like <laughs> to say. And so we started out with a very strong like um, two three formation in the back with two center backs, and then by the end of the season, it kind of became a three two, like differently where. Um, where Colin was much more often right alongside, tucked in as a fullback, right next to Richard or with Richard moving forward a little bit. And then JP was just, depending on where it needed to be, back with the center backs or way up high or in the middle because JP had license, but also JP with that superior motor, which we've talked about a million times, was always where he needed to be, whether it was forward or back. And and I think in preseason especially... We were just a two three. We were just we like, were a straight up two three. I think the, the shackles were a little bit on to. And when Jung Woo played, we were in a two three. Correct. Uh, I think at portions of the season, JP got got more and more license, especially when Colin was just like always sitting next to Richard and always being in there. JP got a little bit more license to. Colin revolutionized us. The wild thing is, Colin revolutionized revolutionized our defense. We were already really really good, but yeah. like he allowed Richard to have more freedom. Yep. And. He allowed us to be better in possession because Colin in tight spaces. No one, I I submit that no one on this team loves a Rondo like Colin Stripling, just by watching him play because he loves a tight space. Bing, 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 and his his inclusion, which we could have um, we could have easily made the case for as part of as as part of the chapters of when he came in, got healthy, finally started playing again. Yeah, he really changed yeah, our I, I offense think, I, I think in possession. A, I think there's a you can draw a direct line between. We got better defensively and we got better offensively. No no shade to Jung Woo So, but Colin's a different player. He's been playing in the system for a long time and physically he's a different player. And look, it's talking about a thirty year old pro versus a, a brand new rookie who's like twenty three. So yeah. no no yeah, shade. Absolutely. Um I do think one of the interesting things that as as we got into the later portions of the season, we saw JP a little bit more back in that kind of two three role. Especially because uh, Sebastian, when he was playing, right, because we lost Colin was, for a was long mostly period of time. like still in the center back line, would occasionally yes. go a little bit forward, but just doesn't have the mobility in his game to be able to to go a little forward, provide width, to be a center back at times, to be a six at times. So and so JP was doing a little bit of, a little bit more of that, and so we, we in the Flower City semifinal game, we were straight out back to being like two, three, four, one, and sometimes two, three, like five, basically, and just like pinning like this like the formation to like pin flower mm-hmm. city back and you saw that with the the 60 minutes that colin got uh when it, when he returned when he returned to the squad there like it was very much um uh, and we talk about you know trusting the rod sets like we're building towards something and like that was exactly what we were building to especially having taylor gray back on the field at that time and look formationally we and and then minutes wise are important. Capazucci played a really really important role this year Absolutely. because he played some really important uh, minutes f- in place of Anatoly, both injury and um, keeping him out of trouble. Did he have a yellow card suspension as well, or never get one? Anatoly, yeah, yeah, he got one. So Once. Colin played those. He also played some minutes to give people rests. But also, as soon as Colin got hurt, 
he just played that veteran role where he had to become an outside back, which he is not. He's been the outside of a three. But I don't, I, in my experience watching Colin, I mean, not what you call it, Colin, watching uh, Sebastian Capazucci, which I've watched him on one, two, three, four teams now. I think that's right. Detroit, Cosmos. Uh, I actually didn't watch him on the Cosmos. Milwaukee, Detroit, us. So three yeah. teams. He played center back or right side of center back in a three. That's it. Mm-hmm. And watching him convert to outside back, figuring out how to do it, playing simple, um, playing in, in like a, the best possible way, not doing too much, doing the veteran thing. I, I praised him for um, he, he was some of the fouls in transition. Like yeah, the, some of the fouls in transition. Also, were, were he gave us he gave us an edge, and this team this team had a better edge um, in better gamesmanship when we, when we had the ball and making sure that if if somebody kicked out at him he made sure the ref knew it like he yeah. just he was really special this year and his veteran presence was really really important to our backline in a myriad of positions yeah. and i'm i'm so happy that the coaching staff went out and got him i know it was an injury signing to begin with and man did he end up playing a big big role I want to cycle back out of formations because I think you and I could talk another 25 minutes on formations because it was interesting and we focused a lot on it um, during the season trying to figure things out. What was your best moment of the year? And I'll go first on the best moment. Um, I have it as Marcus breaking the all-time goal scoring record. Yeah, that's a good one. It's not the only one. There are several really good moments, but that's the one I chose. It was really, really special. Um, It came after a couple games of it not happening, so there was Mm -hmm. some like build-up to it. Um, and yeah, it was just a really, really special moment. And that's a record that I suspect will stand for a long time. Luke's record stood for, when did Luke play his last game? 17 with us? 18 was his last game. Okay. So 19, 20, 21, 22. It it stood five years. And that was with the, uh, basically us doubling the number and tripling, tripling really the number of games we played per season. Um, uh, I think actually, believe it or not. We played a lot of games in like 2014, 2015, 2016. We played like 20 games those years. Okay. Even so, like it's a little bit. It's a little like adding by a third, maybe. But and so maybe maybe I'm I'm overstating how long the record will last. It, it's it stood for a while, but and it'll probably stand for a while. We we have a 15 year history. We had one super prolific striker that scored a lot of goals, and there here's the other thing that's crazy. There's no one close to either guy. It's those two on a plateau. Oching has like twenty less goals. Uh, yeah, he's at thirty-three. It's it's pretty wild, um, and it was an amazing, amazing moment. Uh, I I also my goal of the season. Spoiler alert: probably would have been my moment of the season if we didn't have a goal of the season. I have a couple different <laughs> ones. I have a couple ones that could okay, have been, but okay. your turn for best moment. Uh, so I I think this is actually interesting because we celebrated the the Nisa regular season at the conclusion of the Club de Leon game, uh, and like that's our first professional championship and. It doesn't really strike, doesn't really do it for me, uh, and not even really. I know the, I chose it. I chose an individual thing over us winning our first. Uh, yeah, pro and, championship. and then you've Fuck. got, and then you've got. But the I, actual, I still feel that way. I'm not taking it back. You've got, you've got the actual like clincher, which was that Flower City Union, to win our to actually win the thing, right? Not even not just celebrate it. But I think my best moment is going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be at Savannah on October 7. Uh, it's it's one part Marcus scoring uh, the goal that, that sends us 1-0 up 
and and in one part like closing the game out, winning one nil, one nil, because that was we still had a, a game to go right to to win the championship. That was the day we won the championship. Yes, straight up, we we finally got a win. It had been uh, it had been a month. It had been since that LA that LA Force win, and we we didn't play great at LA Force. We didn't play we played horribly at Albion. You know, we didn't play huge, great at Savannah. This huge long let off. And then, like, we come back, and it's goal start with a draw, with a dramatic late rescuing draw. But, like, to finally get that win, uh, to get Marcus off the schneid, get, scoring another goal, the, the creativity was really, like, the confidence. You could see the confidence building, and you can see what it meant when the ball finally went through the net. And that's the moment we won, we won the regular season championship, even though it took another week to actually confirming clinch so um, i i agree and that was my gonna be my second my there second was pick. a nice great crowd of traveling support and like having sometimes away moments are really really special and that was one it really felt like we were never gonna score again until we scored that one like it just felt like we were go- i, mean, I, I know we, we had scored against yeah, Goldstar, yeah. but it just felt like the offense was never gonna click and we were never gonna score again we weren't gonna get a win and we were gonna somehow choke away like it just all the vibes were negative in our own heads and our own emotions yeah and we did it and w- when we scored that one i just felt like we were gonna get it together and by the way we did clearly after that yeah and so that was my second but i almost chose that one and, and by the way that was a lot of still danger adjacency like we still yes, were not like that was creating the, chance for chance. Was it wasn't the, like Club Flower City Union. But remember, in that game was the first time we saw some different ideas. Yes, and they were we different. Stopped horseshoeing of death. Really interesting. Yeah, um, I, I agree. That was that was such a and both of those. I think the thing about is both of those goals, uh, both scored by Marcus, both that are kind of meaningless, quote unquote, in the grand scheme of things, because none of them came to like clinch a title or whatever else. They were just really big emotional let offs. Yeah, let, in, the, in a positive way, let outs, big emotional um, things. They were great. Okay. Go, what is your goal of the season? Alex McGrath at Des Moines, in Des Moines, Iowa. We had given up. So in the second half of that game, we had given up a goal uh, to make it two one. To make it two one, and it was a it was a stupid mistake in in possession or trying to trying to keep possession in kind of a dumb way. And one that was we, that Colin. Uh, I think it was Aiden actually. And and oh, was his other foot wrong? Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, that's yes. right, that's right, that's right. Because uh, he, because he, he kind of he was as he had a left two center, feet wrong the entire as a left season. center back. He was on like the right hand touch line, uh, and tried to play a ball square to, to I think, and trying to go for JP or, or Richard or something like that to to like keep possession because we had been drilling, especially for new guys, like keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball, just like last year, where make we had decisions but keep the dogmatic ball. Dogmatic and the ball. yeah, and yeah. it's early season like dogmatic. So and he, when he's like trying Rob, to yeah, do yeah. what he's supposed to do, and one thing that separated this year's team from last year's team is this year's team learned above and beyond last year's team who was very good in possession. Like there are times when you keep the ball and then you are times where you minimize danger. This year's team regularly, it was a huge learning moment is also why, why it's um, uh, why I'm, I'm mentioning this goal. It's a huge learning moment because number one, he never made that mistake again. And like, from then on, all season long, like, oh, like, should I try to keep possession? Is that a stupid and risky idea? I'm just going to clear it. Like, okay, we'll win the ball back. No problem. And so Des Moines scored. I mean, it isn't five minutes. It's probably less than that, actually. Um, great sequence of play that, that sets up an opportunity. The keeper beats, uh, I think, 
is it I forget who who is the the attacker on Russian yeah maybe um beats him to the ball b- beats on, him to the ball it's a through ball and whoever it is gets out in front like pretty sure it's, it's the keeper that the clears keeper, it keeper gets I think it's is it a, a kick it's a kick right it's a, it, the keeper and, clears it with a kick is outside of his goal it turns goes around di- directly to, 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 to at the halfway line at the halfway line McGrath like touches co- it forward, collects it forward and then chips them from halfway and like immediate response no problem teammate I got you like we're winning the, we're winning the shit yeah, it was good. It, man. It, it was it was and like to be there for it was fantastic, uh, with with the traveling group and like the guys came over and celebrated those goals with us. Like it was so so good. That's my goal of the season because it's really hard not to include a near halfway chip. I love it. Um, best celebration of the year, Matthew. Um, I would like to. I would like to take this one first, and I think we might have the same one. Um, there's been there's been a few really good ones. But the Marcus really long free kick against Club de Leon, mm-hmm. where it looked way too long for anyone to be able to realistically get it on. And somebody, uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, went like, there's no way. It's too far out. Fuck, it's too far. If only it was like four I, yards in, five yards in. There's nothing I love more. Than being proven wrong? Than being proven wrong. <laughs> That's not true. Only in those games do you like being proven wrong. Um, <laughs> and he smashes it from way too far away. And he wheels around. It's that epic picture I've talked about a bunch of times where he embraces Rod. And then Rod fist pumps the whole crowd. It's the fr- it's one of the only times we've seen a huge emotional outburst from Rod. Where he's just punching the sky in like ecstasy. It, and there's that big hug. Like It's so, 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 so good. And that's my um, celebration of the season. Yeah. That's it, right? It, it kind of has to be. I will give honorable mention to Mumu uh, for for some backflips. Yeah. Cause like, Hell yeah. <laughs> how do you not, you know? I will also say the same goal that you referenced as your goal of the season in Savannah, that was an incredibly emotional celebration for us. I know I lost my voice on that goal yeah. because of the guttural yell that I let out. And the... Um, all Marcus the te- coming, all over the coming over to to Lenny, who was waiting for him on the sidelines. The embrace, the entire team, like uh, imbra- it was very, very clear that it meant a lot to them. It meant a lot to Marcus. It meant a lot to us. That was a, a, another honorable mention of of unbelievable celebrations. Yeah, that's partly why it's the best moment for me. Save of the season, Matthew. You can take mine if you want. Uh, you you go. Let me think of something different. So my save of the season is in a game we ended up losing, um, but it was a double PK save versus Birmingham in the shootout. So Jean saves the. It's uh, first of all, it's Juan Icodelo, who's a U.S. Men's National Team player, a guy of of some pedigree, and who's like should be better than he is. And he t- steps up to take it. Jean saves it, and the referee calls him back. And there's a big and a big celebration right after, and there could be a big letdown. And it's just like, fuck, are you fucking kidding me? God damn it. And <laughs> and then he steps up again and he just saves it again. Never do you see a player get a retake against the same keeper and get a save twice in a row. Never. And John saved it twice in a row. Did we win that penalty shootout? No, we didn't. And that's a bummer. But that was such an unbelievable moment. Um, in the season, the double save on a penalty. His penalties are 80% conversion rate, roughly. Per, 80% per penalty. per penalty. Per penalty. And he saved them both. Uh, it was unbelievable. I know we didn't win the game. That wasn't Sean's fault. It just Sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles. And But yeah, that was that was my, my save of the season. 
Um, I'll put an honorable mention to the rest of Sean's performance against Birmingham in the open game. Yeah, because he had true. a bunch of a bunch of great saves in that game. A bunch of great saves in that game. Um, I mean, like Birmingham created more. They were the better team. The goal they did score was pretty flukish. Uh, just like a crazy, couldn't couldn't do that twice if you tried type thing. Uh, but like he was, John was up to the task uh, far and away against, against Birmingham. Um, the one I'm going to, I'm going for a different game on purpose here. And it's spoiler alert. The only other game where he had more than, you know, a few saves. I'll be in a way the second time around. Yep. The guys, the guys were dead. D E D dead tired. Yep. Um, Albion were, were had been off for a while. Came they out. Left, they hadn't left the state of California in about four years. Came out full court press. Uh, just young, running legs. We were tired, and Albion ran us the fuck over in that game, to the point where like you could see it wasn't our day. And and I've talked about this before, how my philosophy and I, and, it, and it rings true in, in in both basketball and soccer that if you play. And I use thirty games for this analogy. If you play thirty games, uh, you're going to be five, you're going to have five games where you're just going to be unbelievable. Like there's nothing that a, that opponent can do. Like you're just you're better on that day. There's going to be five games where you're not the best version of yourself, and and not even close to the best version of yourself. And then th- it's the middle twenty games that determines like truly who you are, game in game out, and what you what you can do and what you will do. Uh, I think it works the same way in soccer. That Albion game, we it was one of our our games, one of our five games where mm-hmm. where like we are not we are not who we are, and on those nights, all you can do is just hope to get out alive. And Jean was incredible that day, absolutely incredible. We did not deserve to win that game, not even close. And John kept us in it. Save after save, save onto crossbar, like whatever, like you know, and whatever that, he had to do, whatever he had to do. And the defense did did a lot of other things too, blocking shots, whatever. Uh, but it commanded his box, like did all the things. Uh, and and for me, knowing knowing I was getting on a plane about two hours later, and 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 knowing that we had, you know, obviously lost the a couple nights before, and for our first loss of the season, knowing we should have lost that game too. Like it was such, it's just a nice little, like a mm-hmm. little punch of like, oh, okay, this is, this is like, we brought this guy in for a reason. Like, and, and we had seen it all year, right? Yep. Uh, but his performance, well, his we performance really had, was unbelievable. We hadn't seen the saves. The, the shots, the shot stopping just, portion. It re, we had seen these a really good keeper, but it, it reminded me, um, and I've said this to you privately, but it reminded me that if we go up a level of, of play, meaning we play against better teams, John becomes so much more valuable because he's such a good shot stopper and you don't see it because these teams aren't shooting and our defense is not allowing shots. But that doesn't mean he's not still an unbelievable shot stopper. Matthew, let's dive into some mailbag. What do you think? Yeah, we've got a, a, actually a bunch of questions here. Let's uh, let's start let's start kicking through them. I want to start with this very first one. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, sure. um, but I actually want to d- uh, dive directly into it. Uh, Zach Taylor, shout out. Uh, inverted holding right back, yay or nay? Absolute. Depends on the personnel and depends on how you want to play. But, like, I don't mind it. I like it a lot when you have the right personnel. Colin Stripling was the fucking perfect guy for that this year. 
if we get a uh, Colin Stripling next year or another version of Colin Stripling next year, a player that with similar attributes, that where their best ability, I mean, Colin had every piece that made him good at that he thing. Could, he could play a little center back for what, what, is, what did Rod say last year? Like the, he needs the qualities of a center back. He needs the qualities of a winger. He needs the obviously to be an out to be a right back, and he needs the qualities of a six. And then you, you, it depends if you have to play it for five seconds or thirty seconds or a minute right. at a time. And, and and how much? And how long can you play well enough at those positions? And Colin so like could the, just do it. So the inverted portion of the right back role, like always inverting into into midfield, and because we we stretch four across, which means our our right sided winger had to be really truly the one providing width. It means he was rarely ever asked to play like that winger position. He was asked to play center midfield. He was asked to play obviously right back and he was asked to do some center back stuff. And what were the two positions that Colin played before center back becoming eight. a right back? Center back in eight. Center back in eight slash six. He played one game last year. We referenced it in our preview actually this year, um, which I re-listened to. He played one game at right back and it, when Tate was out and it was a revelation because he had like an assist for being a big, because he's a big guy and a header across to Brett Jones who needed in. And we were like, hmm, he looked pretty darn good at right back. And then, yeah, he really changed us. And we've talked about it a bunch. So, look, I like JP and I like Sebastian. Neither one of those guys plays the inverted fullback like Colin does. Yeah. So it just depends on person. Yeah, even even JP, when we were playing like full on 2-3, like 4-1, even JP and Colin play it differently. He plays a great uh, fullback position. I'm just saying nobody plays it quite like Colin on our roster. And so that's why I agree with you. It is personnel based, but if we have another Colin Stripling or we have a Colin Stripling, a guy named Colin Stripling next year, I am open to the, the inverting right back hundred percent. I'm also open to an inverting left back, um, in the same vein. If they have, if they, the personnel matches, but what I, what I'm not married to is the idea that your fullback must invert because that's the only way to do things. I don't think that's the case at all. I do think with Richard Dixon as the holding six, having an inverting, um, right, right back or left back that allows Richard to have the freedom to run around and yeah. corral people. You have to is have super good and super important for as long as Richard Dixon is with CFC starting regularly. Uh, and again, like he was brilliant last year. He was, he was pretty damn good this year too but you still need if we're going to play with two tens or 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 however that configuration works like he needs something else near him to just take some of the load off and you saw what happened this year when some of the load gets taken off like he becomes much more effective he becomes more effective the team becomes more effective yep. and we win the ball back faster which means we can attack for longer we can have possession for longer and the opposition will have possession for less amount of time which means there's just less amount of time they can do bad things to us. Yep. So, like, is there, if you think about like future roster construction, is there going to be a midfielder that maybe plays with Richard uh, in, in, uh, and, and he, I think he, he referenced something on, on, on Twitter about uh, not being done yet. So I think that assume that he's coming back, right? Um, so, like, you can, you can give him a little bit of help with, a midfielder that plays next to him, for example. Like maybe it's dropping Alex back from the 10 line and playing next to him. Maybe it's an, an, a different type of player. You can do that from a, an outside back or from two outside backs. Like there are ways, I mean like, or you can go like full crazy and keep one of your outside backs as a center back in, in possession and throw one of your center backs as a libero into, in, into the sixth line, which is a whole different conversation that we don't have time for. 
there we go. I was going to say, we don't even, we're not trying to look at that. That's an off-season conversation. Uh, next question, also from Zach Taylor. Any chance y'all kept up with our average attendance? Uh, I did not. However, my understanding is, from what I've heard, um, which is not the final word, we were like 400 more per game, roughly. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it, it depends on if you count Atlanta or not, which... I count games open to fans. Yeah, exactly. And so we had a higher floor. We were never under 2,000. Yeah, we were never under 2,000. I, I think we're pushing 2,900. Which is huge. Um if we're pushing 2,900, we're up like 700 fans. I think we were like 22 or 2,300 last year. Uh, as an I think average. if you include Atlanta, we're up. We're, we're into the 28, 50, 20, somewhere in there. So we'll see. We'll, we'll eventually have front office people and, 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 and ho- ask those questions. And hopefully we'll see that. Just hopefully we'll see that um, out there at some point. But we don't know for sure, but we know it was up. And it was up sig- significantly, which is great. Um, hypothetical matchups. How would this squad have fared? And um, we don't have time to dive deep into this, so you need to be good on this one. Uh, USL <laughs> League One, USL Championship, um, or El League Abroad. We're going to leave the league abroad out actually no let's just say no we're, we're, we're leaving the league abroad out entirely okay um where do you think we would have fared in usl league one and where do you think we would have fared in the usl championship so it's i think this is and a, you need to be quick on this this is an interesting question right which is why we, we're at an hour and eight minutes and i have to go to see book of mormon in like let's try less to, than two hours let's try to wrap the mailbag around six o'clock no let's just keep rolling but i'm just saying like or, you and i could talk about this question for an entire episode so true. tell me okay. where you think we would have arrived so the short version is we don't have access to p1 visas in nisa right and i think that that shapes everything because those two leagues do um so like you're already o- opening from an, an apples to oranges comparison P1 visas are getting guys that can come here on only a soccer visa. It's not that we have nobody of foreign descent, but we have nobody here who is on a soccer visa. Correct. Correct. Um, so, like... And that's because the league does not allow us to get that, if you didn't know. The league does not allow us to get that because the leagues run like dog shit. And so they haven't fig- they haven't finished up their thing, so we can't do it. Right. So, it, it, number one, it's impossible to, to compare. And number two, because we do play, for now, in NISA... You build you build a roster with number one what you can get again no foreign players and like what you think can win in NISA, and that leads to I think a fundamentally different squad construction than you see in League One, which is typically uh, way more athletic than than NISA. There's some there's some technical play in NISA, and and don't get me wrong, there's some very technical play in, in League One at times, but like League One as as a whole is much more route one counterattacking high pressing type of a league. Uh, I, and this is a last year stat. So like, let's bear that in mind. Things could have changed a little bit this year, but last year, uh, I think it was like three quarters of the way through the season. The team that had more possession, more possession lost two thirds of the time. So like, Mm -hmm. Number one, we're building something completely different here, and I don't think that part would change if we were in League One or not. Uh, you don't think? If Rodden was a coach, it's not changing, you <laughs> silly boy. You know it's not changing. But, like, it's it's ridiculously hard to compare. Okay. But because, I'm going to do this comparison if you're, if you're going to... I think we would have been... Uh, I think throw out the P1s, who gives a fuck, constructed how we're constructed now, and Taylor stays healthy. Uh, oh, okay. That's actually really good. That's uh, I think that's a fair That's a I, fair I think thing. that's a fair. I think that's a fair barometer. Uh, let League One table. Union Omaha were really good. Uh, just going to throw that out. They were, they, were, they were really good. North Carolina FC was also pretty good. Uh, Northern Colorado, by the way, kind of emblematic of the, the pressing, counterattacking 
Uh, they also had a couple freak, freak players. I think it gets interesting when you get to like Charlotte, Greenville, and Ford Madison. Uh, and even Tormenta and Knoxville below them. Like we played Knoxville in preseason. Uh, we were not obviously not the same team. Like Rod's teams are, are very process driven. And so they take a little bit longer and it always takes longer to put together possession based teams than like route one, like fuck around teams. And I want to point out we beat Knoxville. Now it wasn't pretty at times, but like we, we beat them. I'm going to say, I, I think we would have made the playoffs. We're a playoff, but it, but it would have been it'd have been a, it'd have been a grind to get there. We're a playoff team because that defense is just too damn good. Are, we're a playoff team in League One. Um, the defense is too damn good, and if Taylor's healthy, we would be better and more dynamic. Um, we would have lost. It's a much better league than Nisa, um, top yeah. to bottom. The Nisa is this year especially, um, and then I think in the championship we are. If we have a good season, we're mid table. If we have a good season. Yeah, I think we'd have to get some some luck to go our way. Like Birmingham got Birmingham were the sixth seed in the East. And they pretty They 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 beat us pretty they, good. They were they and, were they were better than us. And honestly, here's where the P ones really, really come to roost. Yeah. Is in the championship. Um, because the level of um player they can get that are foreign. They have some great uh, they have some very good uh, domestic players as well, but I think like our domestic players in League One, like I think this roster this year just Rod put together a really really good roster. Yeah, like our two center backs, I believe, would have been two of the better center backs in League One. I'm not saying that they would have to, just like in Nisa, they were the clear favorites. Like, yeah, I just I think in League One we would have been a good team, and in the championship we would have been if we had a good season, if we got a little luck to roll roll our way about mid table. Like, and, and if and if luck goes against us, we could be in the bottom four. Yeah, be- and and that is mostly driven by P ones. I think if you give Rod P ones, it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different, ball- but we can't do that. You're also you also like, and like we don't know the the budget or whatever we're working with now, but like there's a like a USL Championship like minimum budget. Yes. So like if you ask Rod to say, hey, congrats, you're in League One. Hey, congrats, you're in the Championship. Like you have P one visas, you have these minimums to work with, and we be- and like and the corresponding budget like. And we just be- works out to be comparable. We believe that I think we're going to be fantastic, but that's a different question than what you asked. We believe in that we are roughly competitive to League One salaries. Um, ballpark, we all I think we're fooling ourselves. We think we're competitive with championship salaries for the most part because the championship is a larger league with higher salaries. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, did any Nisa club impress you on or off the pitch? No. no. Um, if uh, I mean, like, it's almost a next question. Like it is. Uh, if our season no. was shorter, uh, would we have won the playoffs? Jed Henderson. Meaning, did our, and I would say no. Um, so it Jed, turns. It turns out we needed every little bit of that time towards down the stretch to get better and like truly get back to, to what made us and get Colin we and get Colin Stripling back healthy and get Taylor Gray back healthy. Even though it didn't work out. We absolutely murdered, by the way, Jed, if you want to be a real masochist, go do the XG for Flower City and let us know what yours is. Um, <laughs> I've been oh thinking about God. rewatching the game, but... Um, Why would you do that to yourself? I don't know. Masochism, I think. Um, <laughs> but if our season was shorter... Uh, by the way, if I, if I rewatch it and we do a podcast on it, it will be our lowest. <laughs> There's not a chance I'm rewatching that game. I'm, I swear, I'm, I'm not watching any... any no, uh, no. I haven't watched a thing. I've watched highlights. I haven't watched anything. Um, no. So if our season was, no, I don't believe we would have. Um, playoffs are such a crapshoot. They fucking suck. And 
it's also it's also so rant, it's so crazy that you and I have talked about how much playoffs suck and how much we hate them and how they're unfair, and yet neither of us included winning a regular season title as our moment of the season. Because unfortunately, in the, <laughs> like, those it's things just are a bad taste in like American sports that like you could do everything. You could be the Braves won the pennant like twenty one straight years in yeah. or the division title rather twenty one straight years and the the National League best record a few times and the and the whole thing. Yeah, didn't someone like actually like set like the the baseball record for like wins like wins versus losses or whatever like not terribly long ago and then get bumped out immediately in the divisional yes. series like yeah. it's, playoffs are not fair but they are the way we we judge seasons so yeah yeah it just is what it is except we, except not this podcast we judge season by a total body of work and not just one game depending on when you catch me yes um <laughs> i'll ask you next week uh you just didn't ask me two days ago uh what part did the odd nisa schedule play in our falters in the end do you feel like a more even and balanced schedule and you need to take this because i know you feel very strongly about this but also remember where uh, you don't have 10 minutes to <laughs> rant about this one do you feel like a more even schedule would give us better results towards the end of the season and in turn more confidence in the playoffs from uh, our boy bill um cfc gunner 41 on twitter yeah i definitely think that the like 24 games in in 30 weekends uh, I definitely think plays a role, especially for a possession-based team. You want you want regular games. You want to play every every Saturday or every weekend. You want to play uh, with with like the team that we construct like with with actual pros and not just like a hodgepodge of whatever bullshit Nisa cobbles together. Like you want it, it punishes it punishes teams that aren't performing poorly because you don't get a week and a half, two, three weeks. To like get your shit together and formulate a plan and spend three weeks on a plan to prepare for one game. Like you go out every weekend and mm -hmm. you play. And by the way, tough fucking luck if you suck. Like you're playing again next week and just figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think the layoffs do definitely hurt us. Um, and that's not why we lost a semifinal. We lost a semifinal because the woodwork is a cruel fucking bitch. <laughs> Simple as that, and 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 in full credit, like because Mike Mejia had the game of his life in goal, and like full credit, like nothing nothing I can do about that. But like also, we hit the woodwork about a thousand other times. Yeah, I've I have I've blamed the woodwork a bunch because it's an easy metric to point to, hitting it four times in regulation, not even including penalties. Like guys, we're not. But he also made a fuckload of saves, yeah. great saves, clearances off the line. Look. Olympico saves that go down as like a 0.001% chance of scoring that don't even show up in the 3.9 XG. Like he was just unbelievable. And if we had, if we had come together and it was like last year's semifinal where, and maybe we like, it's still no nil, but we only create like 1.15 in XG. You're like, well, you, you, we you, good you created a goal and like, you know, you didn't score a goal because soccer is a, you know, is cruel sometimes. So last that, year, then, then like, then I think this is a fair, more a more fair question. Yes, but we generated three point nine goals and like expected goals, like that is freak to like the forty fifth degree of circumstances, and it just sucks because like it feels like it happens all the time to us. Their first shot on target was in the penalty shootout at the end, and it was, the second, it was the second. Saved. Oh yeah, it was the first one. Yeah, yeah. it is the first one. The Lou Ferreira got saved. It's yeah. just we were absolutely dominant and and it didn't go our way. I'm not saying it's okay, but that is the the tail of the tape, so to speak. Um, I will also say I I don't have the same bugaboo that you have about the schedule. 
I, I agree that, that your way is optimal, but I just don't care. Um, I'm not listening to the excuse last year about us having too much time off, and then this year about us. Well, like, just play the games. Everyone has to play the games. It's not fair. It is what it is. You got to go out and beat the players, and I, I beat the players that are on the other side of the. And by the way, that's the team. Cl- it's clearly not what. And it didn't. It didn't hurt us. It didn't. Defend, it didn't hurt us. At all. In fact, I would argue it helped us in the end because we got that extra club to Lyon game to help us. Like we needed the extra bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Ryder says, I'm not sure the best way to ask this, but, and I'll just ask it with the way you, the way you said it, because I think you actually asked it well, which is, do you feel like the team too often tried to find the extra pass instead of just taking the shot? It seemed like we were trying too hard to find the perfect shot versus putting up with a tougher one that might rick or putting up a tougher one rather, and that it might just ricochet in or whatever else. Um, and, and that is a thing that fans have also long said about Arsenal as a, as a, and about Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Yeah. And, you see it now with Ange Postacoglu at, at Tottenham, like similar things were said just a couple weeks ago against uh, Crystal Palace. I think this or is somebody else. I, I think this is a um, Fulham. Maybe I think this is a, when you watch the game, it is, and you're not scoring. It is a bias that I have as well. When you're like, just shoot the fucking ball. Right. Um, I believe in my heart, in my heart, strongly that no, we were patient in general, not just in this game, in general, to find the better shot because it, it's a higher percentage chance of scoring. And if you pass up a good pass that goes into a better shot, it's it's the opposite problem because you could have just laid it off for somebody. Now, does that mean we didn't, in certain circumstances, pat like just not shoot it when we should have shot it and pass up like a good opportunity for maybe a slightly better one? Yes, and that's going to happen. That is a byproduct of how we play, how possession-based teams play, and how like things happen. However, on on the whole, this team was patient in my opinion in the right or in mostly the right circumstances. They created big chances because they were patient. You don't get the thing is, if you want to create really good chances, really big chances, you have to be extraordinarily patient or you have to be lucky. Yeah. It's it's really 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 tough. To have it work any other way. So are there times that we should have? Yes, absolutely. But on the whole, I think we were patient. We were um, methodical. And that's what led to us creating so many big chances, us hitting the bar so many times, us forcing the goalkeeper to make these unbelievable saves. And did it go our way? It didn't. And maybe if we pulled up earlier on one of those, that would have gone in. But there's no way to know that. And, and we didn't. we did not get stymied because, in my opinion, we didn't take shots. We got unlucky in some of those moments that where the ball didn't fall right or the ball didn't settle up right or, or, or the player made a, a diving clearance. But in general, we t- in the, not just the semifinal, in general, we took good moments. And it just hurts when you're like, just score! Sorry, Mixie. Just score! And you have the chance, and, and it doesn't happen. And then the pass doesn't work. You're like, well, we could have scored. But what you have to realize is you might not have scored. And the probability was higher by passing it most of the time. And it doesn't feel good. In watching the game, but I think those are the facts, and that's what I tell myself. That's the narrative I tell myself, and no one bursts my bubble, please. Yeah, I mean, like shots, shots from outside the box in traffic are below, probably dramatically, but like below 0.1 chances, right? They're like 0.05 chances, especially with traffic. Like shots in the box, by the way, are the same way. If, there, the if there's same, a ton of traffic, if there's a ton of traffic, if we're, and, and we had, I mean, there's a, there's a Marcus chance there where the ball doesn't set up for him and he fakes three different times and it, and there's like four guys in front of him and it's like I was screaming shoot, right? But by the way, and he does eventually shoot and, and there's a ricochet and it doesn't go the right way, but like it felt like oh my god, what if he shot sooner? But there was three guys in his way the whole time, right? 
like it, the feeling that somebody should have shot in that moment. And I'm not saying that that um, Robbie's referring to that that particular play. I am referring to that play when I had that same feeling. But if if we have that feeling on that play, I think it's just an inaccurate feeling. If that makes sense. There's yeah. a reason that the, the, this podcast and Matthew and I in particular rely so heavily on expected goals because it's math. And if you take a chance as 0.05, meaning less than um, 0 0.1, 0 0.05, less than a half a percent of going in. So if you do the shot 100 times, if you do it 200 times, you're likely to score one goal. 0 0.05 is 5% chance. 0 0.05 is 5% chance? 0.5 is so 50% chance. Okay, good. I'm sorry. That makes it. But even but even a five percent chance. Five like, percent takes twenty of those to score. You're not going to get twenty in a game. You want the the you want the fifth the forty fifty thirty forty fifty twenty thirty forty. Yeah, 50 if you can upgrade chances. if you can upgrade a bunch of your point five or your bunch of your point oh five chances to produce. Uh, I mean, like I, I think I think like you don't want to take four point oh five chances to create like you'd rather have the point two chance which comes once which you have to like take advantage of but, but also it's a higher percentage chance of going in in the first place i just i disagree you, you still i disagree a little bit with this you don't it's not four versus one because you don't just get one and four you, if you make if you, you, you don't keep know making, what you're getting if you keep making the pass the hope is at least if you keep making the right pass and making the right play the hope is you're going to get two of those chances you're going to double your odds yeah because if you're just shooting early that's what it is so that's how i think about it um I don't know that I'm 100% right, but I, I feel pretty strongly that that's what it is. And it doesn't feel good, Robbie. I recognize that, man. I agree with you. I have the same feelings, but this is what I tell myself. And this is, it's the same way that, well, two days ago was an emotionally horrible day. Well, three days ago. Tuesday, I was a fucking mess. And I shouldn't be over a stupid soccer game, but I was an absolute mess yeah. um, emotionally. And then on like on Sunday, I was in way better shape than I was Tuesday. Way better. Um but the story that I told myself on Sunday and the story that I'm telling myself today are the same, which is we got fucking playoffed in a different way than we got playoff last year. Last year we yeah, got playoff. We, we got truly playoffed last year. Well, like this year we got smited by like the expected gold goals gods that wanted to make a point on double pivot if they ever find out about this in a few weeks. It's different. <laughs> here's the difference. Um, yeah, let's not tell them. Uh, here's, here's the difference. I'd be curious to hear a podcast about like how just how unlikely that is. Last year versus this year. Um, last year we got playoffed by you only have one game to play and you came with a team that helped you not create anything and like and you didn't weren't quite as sharp as you needed to be. And so it sucks it was only one game and they got a lucky goal and they beat us, right? This year we created everything, but because it's only one game, instead of it being a two or three game series, maybe I don't know how I'm, I'm not in favor of the MLS model, but um, of, of doing three game series. But yeah, we got playoffs in a, in a entirely different way. Uh, Ross has a question here. Last year, Rod changed his preferred system and introduced wingers. Why did we stick with that this season? I.e., why didn't we change personnel to accommodate his style? And would you expect that we change as we transition into a new league? Well, first, I'm going to give you a little wink because I'm not sure if we're transitioning to a new league, but I sure fucking hope so. Yeah, I, I think I think, Ross, the, the the thing is here, we kind of we kind of did change because we we think about the four, three, three and, and how we do formations is is from defensive formation. So you have the back four, you have the three in midfield, you have two wingers and a striker that makes a four, three, three. But in build up. What was dramatically different this year mm -hmm. was the two outside backs pinching in 
instead to, to, to create a, like we talked about earlier. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on yes. this. The the two, three, four, one. We had an extra player in midfield. And and sometimes one of the tens would drop in to collect the ball. Sometimes you get one of the wingers to drop in a little bit. Uh, every now and then you get Marcus to drop in, which was fun. Marcus did a lot of, later on in this especially season. Late, especially late, late in the, the season. The late, late in the season, Marcus really, really, really became super. I mean, he was always could do this, but became really effective dropping deep. And and, I and think, hitting that first time ball out or collecting for a little bit. It was very good. And I think I think he did change personnel to to fit to to fit the style. I think he at some point he went into the into the offseason and like spoiler, we played this the style against Atlanta in the in the first game after just, you know, twelve players on the roster and we played and what style? The the two, three, four, one. Oh. Yeah. Um yeah, we and changed like, and that we was changed with, greatly from last year to this year, but it was on the defensive side. And that side, was with that was like with Joseph said. Perez uh as the left back and Jung Lusso as the right back because uh, Jonathan Bertita, who would it was brought in I think to be the starting right back, was was unavailable because of injury. And like Bertita who had spent some time as an outside back and also spent some time as a six. Kind of naturally, I think what the plan was, excuse me, to play in, in that sort of in that sort of style all season. And we ended up sticking with that. So yeah, I take I take a slight issue with that question, but I think it's a really interesting one. And 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 a and a So shifting forward, I agree with you, but shifting forward into the forward line, playing with wingers versus playing Christmas tree. Because we did not play Christmas tree, we played with wingers. Yeah. Why do you think uh he didn't go back to the Christmas tree? Taylor Gray. And because I think he wanted to find a way to get Richard help. I think the question of being too open when we had him on the podcast, he, he like we talked about beforehand, like, oh, we were kind of open. Like this gave us a lot of moments. Richard was incredible, but like, is that sustainable? And he was like, no, it's and not. he was like, no, it's not. So we went out and got like literally the two best, best uh, center backs in the league this year. Aiden and Anatoly. One from outside of the league, one from inside of the league. Right. And, uh, and then just brought help in terms of the outside backs who were, who were also better defend like all four of our defenders in their positions were better than the defense the, the defenders their defensive counterpart than, than last year and that's right. including Colin as a right back look Tate is a good a solid defensive right back Colin is better yeah. defensively yeah if look what Tate did offensively this year in League One he was great seven eight assists um, something like that I'm not saying he was poor defensively he's not he's a solid defender Colin's a better defender and like for what we Colin's were looking a center back playing right back for what we were looking for especially because Tate like Tate chose to do something else he chose to go back closer to home and like of course and go to League One and like I we're not we, we're not bad it's a great way, move for him turns out I think Tate would have been great in the, oh, in the absolutely in the I think he would have slotted right into that Partita role no but I don't think we ever would have signed Partita because yeah because he you would have played had, it the same way with JP. Like, a little bit of a yeah. six, a little bit of an outside back, and then a bunch of like his winger quality that you saw with all the assists this year would have been yes, would have been it would have been yeah. So that's there's no shots being taken, but he is defensive wise though. Like Colin Stripling is, is a center back we, now. We had to we defender. had to adjust to make it to make it fit what the other what thing is. Needed. Greg Stratton, Travis Ward, good players. Travis Ward particularly going forward. Uh, Greg Stratton, very balanced player. <laughs> JP's just a better defensive player than both those guys. Yeah, better defender. I mean, he, JP was best left back in the league. Yeah, that's so like that. You added, you just added so much quality, and then like you know, shout out to Jean, a whole different caliber. He's two years in a row. He's won the Golden Gloves, and he's enormous. So like, did, we got the help there. But going back to wingers, which we've not answered the question, um, we already had Damian, and Damian's. Um, it, it is arguable whether he he's more of a ten or more of a winger. Now he didn't end up playing a lot, but we had him to begin with. Um, what I think happened is. The the play of players that were available, we had Taylor coming back, and I think Rod looked at Taylor and went, 
the reason we changed last time was because of Marcus and then Taylor being better starting out wide rather yep. than starting up. And he just went, I'm sticking with wingers. I also don't believe there is a thought that I struggle with that is Rod is married to his ideas. He is not married to his ideas. He's married to his principles. Yeah. And the principles and the, the ideas change. The principles remain the same. The idea is what kind of formation are we playing? The the principle is that players have to be able to interchange, play multiple positions, keep the ball, play with the ball, uh, disorient and and unbalance the team with the ball. That is, those are principles. The ideas could be, I think you could see Rod play, this is a wild one, but he did it once, once twice a season, play a three-man if he felt like his principles would be best expressed by the personnel. Now, is that his preference, his first preference? No. But he will do whatever it is within his principles to put players and personnel in the right positions to succeed. And I think, I believe he'll go back to wingers again, and here's why. I believe he liked this year especially with our, our defense being as good as it was, but being a little bit isolated positionally because they were very responsible uh, with with Colin staying back deeper and JP being always up and down and getting back and not getting stuck up uh, and forward. I think he really valued having dynamic wingers. We said it a million times as our, our offense went, as our winger play went. Mm-hmm. And I think you, that blueprint going forward is a very doable and workable blueprint. I think you see Pep Guardiola doing it at Manchester City slightly differently, but in the same way yep. with extremely dynamic wingers. And by the way, Pep plays one dynamic winger and one less. They plays them a little bit differently. He doesn't yep. play Doku and uh, which is a whole other thing. He doesn't play Doku and um, <laughs> and um, uh, Grealish at the same time, which is a wild thing. But point being is, I think because you can then let the wingers cook. Let them beat some guys, and you saw with Jesus at bringing in him, bringing in really dynamic players. He, he found a way to make the offense work. He found a way to make it work with Marcus. And I, you, I, I've been surprised before, but I just think he will continue down. There'll be some tweaks for sure, yeah. because he has tweaked every year something, right? And and he will tweak to the personnel more than anything. But I think principle wise, if he can get a dynamic winger that does his principles and Taylor Gray is back, which I just don't know how you don't bring Taylor back with how good he's looked <laughs> these last two years, um, assuming he wants to be back. Like, I think you'll see him playing with wingers again. And I also think it's easier to find a dynamic winger than it is to find a 10 that can do um, the dynamic things and provide the width. I'm not saying those players don't exist, but I think it's easier to find a feet on the touchline winger. And if we go into a new league, knock on some wood, um, and we visas. get P1 visas, like there just are, there exist more tricky wingers um, yeah. in the world. And I think that you'll see more. I think there exists more feet on the touchline tricky wingers. We'll discuss this a lot more as as we get into the roster building phase. But I do think now that a lot of teams are playing possession, a little bit pressing, sometimes inverted, you know, fullbacks or or, or whatever. I think there there's a, a bunch of different models out there between Arsenal and Tottenham and Man City and uh, and even Bayer Leverkusen. Like, there's enough models out there that doesn't always have to look the same. And it'll be really interesting. Like, we we mostly model, CFC mostly modeled uh, what ended up becoming uh, Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham at don't, one point in time. Don't be crazy. He modeled us. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, so we already talked about this formation question, the style of play, uh, 4-3-3 versus a 4-1-2-2-1. A, a um, I'd rather not dive super far into that because I think we've. Yeah, yeah, we no, we're done. That, that that's covered. That's covered. I just um, didn't mark it out. What was the mo- no, I'm, I'm marking things out where we're going. Um, what was the most important position to get right? I don't know who asked this question. So sorry. For- I think it's in. I think it's in Ross's. Uh, it's in Ross's group. Hell yeah. So Ross asks, uh, what is the most important position to get right, get correct, and how would you grade us this season on accomplishing that? Uh, I love this question. It's a great question. So number one, like we kept. So like it's not one position for me, it's the spine. It's 
but your goalkeeper, your center backs, and your six. Everything, because those are the those are the four players uh, that, and maybe and maybe not always goalkeeper, but those are the players that touch the ball the most. That in, in this type of system, those are the players that touch the ball the most. You have to get your center backs right. You have to get your six right, and then like you have to figure out like what else goes around that. But like, so and think about like who were our our, our best most consistent players in terms of how we play, which is possession. It is not like. You know, you want your your wingers and your strikers to be dynamic and and involved and and wild and, and scoring goals and, and creating, but like the foundational principles of this team are your six and your two center backs and your goalkeeper, and I think it's an A fucking plus. I am going to take a slightly different um, way on that. I agree, but I I think it's a cop out to say the spine um, because he said one position. So I'm going to pick one position of the spine, though I fundamentally agree with you, and I am going to say. It is. Well, I think, and I would include, by the way, in the spine, because it's right up the middle, I would also include the striker in that, um, just because if you have, anyway, w- w- revolutionized last year when we got a, when we got striker play fixed, and last year our most important player was Richard Dixon at the six, it is the six. In, Rod Under, in a Rod Underwood possession system, and in Ange Postacoglu, to use your Tottenham boy, the most important player on the field, and there are other players who do unbelievably important things, is, is Basuma for uh, Tottenham. And for us, it is Richard Dixon, but it is not just Richard Dixon. It is whoever's playing the six. So it is Richard Dixon, but in this year, our most important was whoever was able to play the six, which sometimes was Colin Stripling coming in from right back with Rich just being an eight and running around. And sometimes it was JP. And some and occasionally. It wasn't JP as much. Not not as much, but... But but, but it was whoever was a, uh, the ability to let the six play or be the six. And sometimes Colin Stripling was a de facto six because Richard was the eight and running around everywhere. And... Sometimes it was just Richard by himself. Last year it was Richard by himself the whole time, and I think we, I think we nailed it this year because Richard, Richard was not the Superman that he was last year. He was good this year. He was unbelievable last year defensively. Yeah. He covered so many defensive holes for us last year that he never should have had to and never should have been able to. He was still good this year, but the system was much better set up to to help him this year yeah. and to make him still successful. And that will remain and continue to be, in my opinion, the one position we have to get right. If we don't get the six, that anchor, that connection between midfield and defense, if Richard Dixon goes down and we don't have the right player in his place, if we don't have the right way to get Richard the coverage he needs so that he can do his job, whatever, whatever, we're fucked. That's the most important position. Okay. Um, other teams in the league were, this is again from, uh, I think from Ross, um, love this question as well. Other teams in the league were constantly bringing and losing players, but CFC really never does that. Setting aside, uh, Ibarra, um, signing and by the way, Capazucci as well. I'm adding that, uh, which he said, he thinks he has to do with Taylor and Damien's injury and for the Ethan Corrin injury and, um, Ali Hymas. Ali Hymas injury. Um, so, and, and Ethan Corrin getting hurt meant that we had to send Capasucci, by the way. Um, so I'm adding a little bit to that of my own. Why and how do other teams do it and why and we don't? Actually, this is a really easy answer. Number one, we pay our bills. We pay our players. So uh, And we Le- actually abide by contracts. Bingo. Club de Leon stopped paying their players at a certain point. They had to host tryouts. They brought in guys to bring. We Number one, we pay enough for our guys to... To this be their main gig. A lot of most of them coach on the side or do something else to supplement that income. Um, this is nobody is getting rich in NISA, but like our guys are paid a much more fair wage than uh, most others in NISA. So that's the first part. So they're able to be full professionals. They don't leave mid season to go do other things. Um, also, we just sign quality players and quality guys 
because of that. So we have a full roster. So the only way we're going to sign a bunch of guys midseason is if we have real injuries. And the only way a bunch of guys are going to leave is if they have terrible injuries. Partita, by the way, another injury yeah. that we didn't talk about. Yeah. We have a big injury bug, which we did this year. So we signed a couple guys. Or guys could leave if um, they retired or whatever else. But that has not happened to us. And it's not likely to happen to us because, again, they make enough that they're able to have a life and do their thing. And so they'll retire after the season, not also, mid-season. Also, it's worth sticking it out. And like maybe you get, even if you're not playing very much, like maybe you get your chance at some point. But if you're some, in, in some places, if you don't know if the, if the bills are going to get paid or whatever, like it's probably worth just saying, yeah, hey, yeah, you know, my contract, you're not really up to you know, up, upholding it. Like my, my I'm payments just coming late. I can't Don't, pay my bills. Yeah. Oh, I got this girl. I mean, real talk. I got this girl pregnant and I make no, literally no money. I'm here on $500 a month. Like I can't like, that's just not like, that's not the CFC way. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to skip a question with Damien cause it's just injury. The answer to that is injury. Yeah. I actually don't even know exactly what it is. I don't either, but I know he's had several injuries this year. That's And that's, by the way, I have the same question um, because I don't actually know any more than that. Uh, He wrote, skip this question. I did not. Um, What other, what players from other NISA teams would you not mind seeing next year? Matthew, I know you love this question. Go. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take this with the assumption that the rumors about MLS next pro are true. Go. Um, Just because like, I think it's, well, I think it's pretty damn likely. Um, and we'll find out next week if that's if that's really the case or not. Um, the answer is probably no one, honestly. If you if you think about it, uh Next Pro is a, a better a better league. I yeah, I realize it's populated with exclusively reserve teams this year. But like it's just a better league. Like it's quality it, of player wise the quality of player yes they're young that's not every player on every team but in general the level is higher like there it, it has a reputation a little bit of like only being academy kids and whatever like these teams are required to have actual pros on the roster in fact they're they're more than required it's in the it's in the roster rules and they pay real money because they want the standard to be high especially for those academy kids who they want to like bring into MLS and then sell on for real actual like millions of dollars, right? So the standard is really good. We'll find out, assuming we go, we'll find out like what, like truly what the standard is, like and what the comparisons are. And, and, and this is the first podcast we've actually uh, like acknowledged the rumors as probably true. <laughs> yeah. Like well, I think you and I are finally coming around that it's, you know, hopefully fucking happening. Please, Lord. And the creek don't rise. But like <laughs> if you, if you look at that, it's also, it's also a league where like the, yeah, the age skews young. And because like, you know, we want to be a those those clubs like need to develop young players, and we also need to develop young players too. Like, mm-hmm. and if if we start turning over roster and stuff like that, I I would imagine in an ex pro situation, like we need to be get younger because players become investments. Uh, and and like, yeah, you hope to move those players and you, and off the food to, chain and make some money off their uh, them, their movement, right? So like, if I think about some of the better players in NISA right now that are not on our team. You've got guys like Darwin Espinal at, at Maryland and maybe Daniel Bedoya at, at Albion. Darwin's going to be 29 in preseason next year. Daniel Bedoya's going to be 30. That doesn't like, and, and like those are, are, are some good players. And, and I think would, you know, could, could do a job for us this year and, and maybe next year. But like, does that strike you as the type of player that we want, that we would want to like bring over with us? Or like, and, and, and so in, in that mind, I'm thinking of, are there any like 18, 19 year olds 
like that or just like trickling around Nisa like could really like have a serious potential to move up. And maybe there are. Uh, and, and if there are, I assume Rod's going to know exactly who he wants. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of any. And so, like, maybe if I'm an odds maker, I'm putting I'm putting that number at 0.5. Like, maybe it's zero, maybe it's one, but like that's that's where I'm putting the odds. I just don't or, or the uh, the over under. The only players in NISA we are taking to MLS Next Pro are on CFC already. <laughs> that is my belief. Um, I could, I, I'd be glad to be wrong because look at Taylor Gray and where Rod just plucked him out of nowhere and we were all like, oh, this guy's probably good. And then he was, you know, one of the best players, probably the, he, he one was, of the best he was, players he was the in first eleven. He's the best winger yeah. in the league. So I don't know what what's going to happen. I will, I will point out there. Uh, there's like five players in the entire league who I like. There's two on on San Diego, Cartagena, the holding midfielder who I think is a good player. Uh, Ernest Mitchell, actually center back, so there's three players. And, I like and, him. And Ernest Mitchell was playing a lot of like a lot of right back in kind of like that Ben White role, if you follow Arsenal at all. like So he was playing, I think, a little bit out of position He's a, he's a, But I like him. He's a good player, Daniel Bedoya. Um, I don't believe any of those three players profile well age-wise um, for us. Mitchell's the best, but he's still like probably so five or something. I, and by the way, I don't know that any of those guys really upgrade for us. So right now, and I... I so that, but I like those. I'm just giving you players I like in the league. Um, then for Maryland, I like Filerman. I've always liked Filerman, uh, left back, and I like um, Darwin Espinal. Yeah. Um, again, neither one of those guys profile right age wise if we are going to MLS Next Pro. Yeah. And if we were in NISA, uh, currently those guys are not big upgrades for us. Darwin would be useful because he's a goal scoring winger. Um, so like I'm not saying that he, you could, either one of those guys would be the right talent level for CFC right now in NISA, but like. It's just neither one of those guys make this huge upgrade, and I don't believe going to MLS Next Pro, we're going to go with a, the 30-year-old roughly age profile. I also like the goalkeeper from Maryland, Bobcats, um, but he's, again, he's not an upgrade on either of the guys we have. So like, right. I just I think he's a decent player. Um, that's basically it. On the I like Marich, okay. He's okay, but I don't think he fits us. Um, there's, there's just like... There, there's, some, there's some decent players so out there that and, don't necessarily fit our style of play beyond like maybe not fitting the the general like age profile if we do go to next so i'm going to take this question i'm gonna twist it a little bit um, i don't think there's anybody we're taking um and if there is somebody rod knows about them and i don't and i don't know about them um if we if we do go to mls next pro i think nisa dies and if nisa dies i think you're gonna see very few to maybe even it would be just a very small handful of players that will end up in that league overall probably like I would say less than five. I put the over under on like three and a half. Yeah. But I do think out of this league, you will see out of Nisa, you will see maybe double that number, seven, eight, maybe even 10 guys go play in US if, League if One. The, if, if the league, league dies. If the league yeah. dies, go play in League One. A couple guys probably get in the championship. Like there's some other players that are professional. I just think the way MLS is skewing mostly young and talented is not how Nisa is for the most part. And so I don't see us taking up people, and I don't see a bunch of um, Nisa players finishing or ending up in um, in at least th- this year's crop of Nisa players rather ending up in MLS Next Pro. Todd Hudgens asked, "How did missing Taylor's impact and limit what the team was capable of?" Yeah, I think, I think, I think we covered. I think that we've one. covered this without. Yeah, so like. It, it limited us hugely. He also came back at the right time. He also didn't even come back at his full potential. Um, and it just shows how good we could have been um, with him. And I mean, just imagine Ibarra and him together, man. Yeah. Or hell, Mumu and him together when, when Mumu was was good, when uh, on the days that he was good, rather. Imagine Damian when he was healthy. Like, there's just so many ways that Taylor makes that team better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why was there a reluctance to counterattack during the season when opportunities were obvious? 
This is a question I really do like. Um, I do think there's a there's some room for improvement. First of all, um, athletically, we are not built to counter personnel is it, policy. So Mark, when you listen, when so I was, I listened to Rod's interview with us last year uh, on one of my long drives uh, the last couple of days, and Rod essentially said like, you look at like you you look at the kind of the, some of the guys we have like Ian Saro or, or Marcus last year. And, and I think this year, it's, you know, Marcus, uh, even Mumu a little bit, Jesus definitely. Uh, and, and, uh, and Luis, like they're not, they're not counterattacking players. Like they're just not. And like they're, they're, and like that's, I think that's just the, that's the, the whole sum of it. Like, and it's athletically, they're not counterattacking players. Right. Yes. And, and like, they're better at other things and, and we build our team to play, for their strengths and, and not to something they're not good at. And our best, and also, by the way, we didn't only build a team. We made, like, Rod drilled into them to not go get isolated by yourself. You can clearly we, see we that. Got, we got isolated a lot in the, in the, in the middle of the, se- in the, the year, middle of the especially, season. Especially post-Taylor's injury. We got isolated where we didn't have the players. We didn't have the triangles. And we have one player on this team that is, or we have two players, really. Two players in the team that are built to get on the counter. Two players. Three if you want to count a distributor. Anatoly can kick the ball a fucking country mile. Yeah, that's true. That's and true. and actually, th- I'm sorry. I mean, there's three more players on top of that. Juan Luis is built to get out on the break. That guy, that guy's athletically built to get out on the break, and also his instincts are to take on the man and beat a guy and get in there. So the, he was the one winger. And by the way, you saw it. We did go long and we did play more on the break. With uh, and, and I, I realize on, going long and on the break are not necessarily always the same thing. But in in this, I'm grouping them together because um, the skill set can be similar. And Alice McGrath in transition is very very good at stepping. And when we did go in transition, it was normally because Alice McGrath caused a turnover. It was like one man. Like oftentimes it was one man press, like setting Take everything up. Take the ball, up. do thing. Yeah, not like a, a full. Like we win the ball and it's seven guys, like or four guys or whatever going forward. It was rarely like that. So you have one distributor who you did see go long a bit. You have one guy in Juan Luis who played every regular season game, but by the way, he he only started the first like third of them and didn't really start much after that. Yeah. You have Alex McGrath who did start all the time and did get yes, when we got in transition, it was usually because Alex McGrath did it. I would say in my own mind, probably seventy like percent of the time. And your other player is Taylor Gray who can do it all. Taylor Gray is a complete winger and is very good at getting into space and getting on the break. He got hurt five games in. I think I do think you would have see us, seen us get more into transition with Alex and Taylor Gray combining, with Luis slipping more balls in, with maybe um, playing a, a winger that's a little more direct in Juan Luis on one side, a little more often with Taylor starting, potentially, if Taylor doesn't get hurt, but he got hurt. Yeah, Jesus Abar is a very good player. Marcus is a very good player. Neither one of those guys in a straight line is very fast. They're both incredibly technical. Yep. And kicking the ball long to them, we've if you if you didn't see it, like go back and watch it. Neither one of those guys is beating uh, most center backs in a foot race, and definitely not beating the outside back. So it just wasn't our game. And so I I am happy with how we play. Would I like us to be better in transition going forward? Yes. That's why I like this question because I would like us to have a more balanced attack and be a little bit better in transition. And in transition moments, like to, which one of the things Todd alluded to is why didn't we go for it more often? There were definitely times that I wanted us to go for it and we didn't. I understand why we didn't. I'm not upset that we didn't when I try to u- try to use my logic to it. But also, I th- I if we have Taylor and if we have another couple players that are in the lineups on different days, there's a world in which we can be more balanced and be better at using space. And that will stretch defenses out and make us uh, better at what we currently do. Breezy, it's uh, 
it's 6 p.m. on Friday night. And uh, and I say that because uh, this next question like immediately got answered uh, just just a couple minutes ago. Really? Um, and and when kinda, you listen, kinda, kinda and when y'all we listen, sk- kind of thought we were skipping this question. When you listen to the podcast, uh, whenever it does come out, like like we have this news now, so we're just going to talk about it. Uh, Jeffrey Clymer had asked, "Who are the most likely returners based on uh, multi-year deals or performance or?" or or whatever factors like maybe maybe this you know maybe uh, next prototype thing and oh fuck okay the club has announced uh end of season roster decisions uh ahead of 2024 so i'm just going to read it to you uh listeners okay. we've been going for an hour and 52 minutes uh this news just came out we don't have the emotional processing power definitely to not. do this now nor the time you have book of mormon tickets i do um you have them tomorrow yeah tomorrow I'm i have them tonight I fucking can't bill, wait. bill's going bill one of the guys who asked questions near scfc gunners also i got them tonight uh nice nice well uh, maybe we'll talk about it next week we on don't the have podcast. them smitty has them with me tonight oh hell yeah tell him i said hi I, 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 hopefully i'll see bill We're, um, we don't have them together okay well so like we're Fuck just me. like we don't have the time we don't have the processing power like we're just going to acknowledge this uh we're going to read it and then uh, there are some goodbyes that we have to say that we'll do very short order. I do want to come back in another podcast, whether it's the next one or, or a separate one, to like formally and officially say goodbye, remember moments, uh, talk about the things that make us happy. And, and, and obviously, we wish them well now. And, and uh, we'll do that as well in a, in a future pod. So let me just read this for you real quick. Returners first. Chattanooga Football Club announced today or Tanae announced end-of-season roster decisions ahead of the 2024 season. The following eight players will be returning for the 2024 season. Jean-Antoine and John Burke, so both goalkeepers. Richard Dixon, Jesus Sabara, Luis Garcia Sosa, Joseph Perez, Anatoly Prepolitsa, and Damian Rodriguez. The following six players will not be returning for the 2024 season. Alex Jaimes, Lenny Lopez, Matayam Mwape, Marcus Nagelstad, Jung Woo So, and Colin Stripling. Next paragraph. <sighs> Lionel Alvarenga, Aiden Bowers, Sebastian Capazucci, Taylor Gray, Ethan Corrin, Juan Louis, Alex McGrath, and Jonathan Partida remain in discussion with the club about returning for the 2024 season. The futures of the remaining 2024 roster will be communicated at a later date. Everyone at Chattanooga FC would like to deeply thank all the departing players for the contributions to the club and to the community. And it lists out the, uh, the roster as of today, uh, two goalkeepers, John, John Burke and John Antoine, uh, two defenders, Joseph Perez and Anatoly Prepolitsa, Two midfielders, Richard Dixon, Luis Garcia Sosa, one forward, Damian Rodriguez. That also should include uh, Jesus Sabara. So, uh, yeah. Oh boy. Um, okay, let's let's start with the returners real quick. Um, I'm I'm gonna cobble while you do something. I'm gonna yeah. You write some things. Fa- it does not look like Fabian and Hugo were mentioned on academy contracts. 
Number one, uh, let me take a second to cobble together. Kind of unsurprising there, I guess. Meaning, like, I would imagine, what, I don't know if they're trying to go to college, trying to not go to college. Yeah, and what that's they're trying a to do. Um, whole different ballgame. Okay, so uh, we kind of knew some of these, right? Um, but it, Jean Antoine being back, John Burke means the goalkeeper position is, is set for next year. We're not going to do super deep analysis here, but now seeing it for the first time. Um, Richard. Captain Richard Dixon is back. Um, Jesus Ibarra signed midseason, so it makes perfect sense that he would be on, back a, on, on yeah. a more than a one-year deal or like a season and a half or whatever. Whatever, it might be on a two-and-a-half season deal. Who knows? Um, Luis, that one's interesting. Um, he also signed late in the offseason, so it may be the same type of thing with Jesus. He may have had a, an option or, or maybe we – I don't know. But he's, he's coming back. Joseph Perez, best left back in the league, not a surprise there. Um, Anatoly, uh, not a surprise again there with right. – Probably the best center, him, him and Aiden being the best center backs in the league. And then Damian, we we knew that Damian was coming back because we had we knew they signed him to a multi-year deal. They announced that during the season. Okay, uh, I want to, before we get to the goodbyes, um, Beto, that's Lionel Alvarenga, Beto, Aiden, Sebastian, Taylor, Ethan, Juan Luis, Alex McGrath, Jonathan Partita. Um, remaining in discussions, meaning this could be anything between currently negotiating a contract with a contract offer on the table with whatever. I mean, we're... Fuck, dude, we're a week out. We're not even to the championship game we were already announcing. This is wild. Um, that's just so fast. And, and, and I think mostly a good way, but so fast. Um, but you have you have guys like... Um, it, it could be a negotiating a contract yes. right now. It could be renegotiating because they didn't want to activate their option. So you're renegotiating a contract to see if you get that, or you might still activate their option, which we have until November 30 to do. It could be they were on a one-year deal, no option, so we need to renegotiate. Just if they in want general, to sign again. it could be like someone like Jonathan Partita is a great example here because he he was hurt literally all year coming yes. back from an ACL injury. You know, we may not want to, for example, offer him a contract until we see him in preseason. Right. Because he was just barely coming back to practice at the end of the season. So, so like, there, there's a yeah. lot, there's a wide range and we're not going to, we don't, again, we don't have time or, or capacity to really speculate or, or anything on, on this category. Yeah. I was so, not prepared for yeah. this. Uh, okay. I put together uh, a little thing for, for these, for these six goodbyes. So in it, I, I would like to Matthew suggest that we do what we have always done. Um, we're not always, but we know we actually, what we've always done in, with this podcast, which is talk about a couple like, fun and key moments and i'm going to tell an ali hymas story now um that he's, uh, he's do, you, do you just want to do this now or like i wanted to i want to talk about the guys some of the guys that are leaving yeah and I, we talk about it more um later. I, i'd like to talk about it more i just don't think like i have i don't think i have it in me okay you're gonna do a whole separate podcast let's, later let's just i mean i don't know if it's a whole separate podcast i don't know if it's like gather some if stats we, if we talk through some if, moments if, okay. if we have to tack it on to, to news or whatever we do like i just want to Okay. Mitch. I, I want to so, do it justice, and this will not be justice. I want to say, okay, I'll say one thing. Alex, Lenny, Mumu, Marcus, Jungwoo, Colin, we'll do a better tribute at some point, but thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for whether you played two years here, three years here, one year here. You guys fucking rule. We love you. Once a blue, always a blue. And uh, we'll, we will memorialize you. You're not dead, but we will memorialize you later in a, in a, a more... Um, a more fitting way where we talk about some of the, the positive moments that, and the fun memories. And, and maybe we have some top memories from, from each of you and we'll, we'll, we'll do it justice there. And then maybe once also, once we get some more, um, cause Holy crap. Now that I'm thinking about it, like Beto, Aiden, Sebastian, Taylor, Ethan, Juan Luis, Alex McGrath, Jonathan Bartita, that's eight players still right. in discussion. That's a lot of, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of, of variance. That's there. a lot of potential goodbyes or welcome backs or whatever they're going to be. So, okay. Well, 
fuck that noise. I was um, planning to do analytics and not um, feelings, but now I have lots of feelings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so knowing who signed multi-year deals, Jeffrey, would didn't matter by the end of this because we know who's back. Um, I will, I will. The one thing I will say about some of the guys that we have already signed and some of the guys that are on the list of guys who are coming back, looking at this list and thinking about next year, some of these guys will be nailed on starters, but some of these guys are coming back and will either be fighting for starting jobs or will be backups. And I'm not saying who is who. What I am saying is we are entering, we hope, a new league. And a whole new horizon. And it's going to be very interesting to see who is where and speculate privately and maybe publicly on who is going to play and who's going to be the star. I'm sure we'll produce predictions for starting lineups and whatnot. Um, I think if you look at something like the goalkeepers, we brought back both goalkeepers. You got to assume, I shouldn't say got to, I would think we're not going out and getting another number one, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, you're letting John Burke continue to grow into that number two role, or maybe you know going into his second year, he can t- he can start taking uh, playing time from from the starter and Jean, and then you're bringing John you're bringing John forward to be the the guy. I would think, um, yeah, I, I I'll stay out of the rest of them, but like I'm just using those as examples. Like you, position by position, it may change on whether we think those guys are going to be starters, um, just like contributors depth pieces yeah or or just guys that fight for and that um, and that's all gonna depend again on Um, who we sign on the personnel well matthew um it is the end of 2023 this is not the final podcast of 2023 but this is this is this is very much the end of 2023 this is our our final at least so far that we've not that no it's not um this is our wrap-up our analytical wrap-up that's what i'll say we're still going to have hopefully rod underwood uh, and now i will put out the call for questions if you have questions for rod yeah and is, by the he way is scheduled soon he is, he is scheduled for for next week um knock on wood nothing comes up but that is that is the schedule that is the plan um i'm going to tell you now if you ask I, I mean this with love if you ask a question that we don't want to ask we're not going to ask it because it's rod and like I'm terrified to ask him a question I shouldn't ask him. Um, but please send us in the questions. It, I will I will steal your ideas and steal your questions and give you credit, of course, if if we we have a good question from you. And um, and by the way, we did not last year when we had Rod on, on the podcast, roster decisions were not out yet. And they kind of mostly trickled out really in the end. They had um, to come out in a group fucking six days later, five days later. Yeah. So like holy shit. Are are we gonna ask him about about like the hey decision man, to, to hey, keep certain players and like, are we gonna? Am I gonna? Are, get, are we? Are we gonna ask like straight if Aiden up? Like, Bowers, the, our MV, <laughs> defensive MVP, is gonna be uh, back. Like we're not. We're not gonna ask like straight up. Like why did you cut this player? Why did you keep this player? Yeah, like, definitely it, not gonna do that. It's more like I'm just not getting into that process because that's going way too far. Uh, I do think it's it's we will talk about like the players that we're keeping and 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 why and 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 be a little bit more general about it. Uh, and, and I understand that that might be frustrating to to listeners uh, to not get like that side of things, but like there's there's some things that I just I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't I don't want to know. I will also point out that uh, with all due respect, I don't know that Rod is coming on this podcast if we were going to beat him up with questions like that. Yeah, he doesn't have to. He chooses to. Um, he's very nice and generous with his time, and so we're just going to be a little bit careful about um, do talk just things that would make him uncomfortable. Um, and talking about that kind of stuff. I do think we, some of these questions are excellent. Like if our season was shorter, would we have won the playoffs? Which, no, there's, but like some of these, y'all, like thanks, thanks for the mailbag. These are fantastic. so good. These were so good for us today, but some of these are so good. So if you want to hear Rod we answer stopped, these questions, we stopped planning like 
a full on analytical review because like some of these questions like we're just too, better than the questions that we had for to, each like, other. Do the yeah. thing. So listeners, thank you for listening. Viewers, thank you for watching. Um, as Jay said, we are on YouTube. If you could give us a thumbs up, if you could shoot a comment out there, it really does help the algorithm. It also lets us know that you're appreciating the YouTube, which is a um, more work than just the, the regular podcast. So if, if you're liking it, we appreciate it. Um, again, thank you for listening. We can't wait to be with you soon. And uh, you got to say something? No. I was just going to say thanks for listening and thanks to the players and bye. And bye. There we go.